You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello and welcome to the 42Cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I am your host Nathan, and we have another great episode lined up for you where we're going to talk about the first season of Netflix's The Punisher. And if you've been following the show for a while, you know that we are a little bit behind. Uh, And by a little bit, I mean we're still airing material from 2018. And I realize that for some of you, the ship may have sailed on some of this, and you're not really interested in hearing uh, an analysis of these shows. But at the same time, I feel like because my friends have put in you know, the time to talk about these shows and to discuss them, I still wanted to get them out there. I still think we have some really good comments and opinions that we have on these shows, and especially with you know streaming. You know, I mean, this series is a streaming series, and a lot of the shows that we've talked about that are on networks can be found streaming in other locations. It's still possible that people are just discovering these shows or just watching them for the first time, or maybe you want to watch it again. So just to understand a little bit of my thinking on why I'm still putting out some of these old episodes that I've got saved up is I'm trying to catch up, but at the same time, I've got some stuff going on in my life, you know, some of it personal, so I can't really discuss it come up health-wise with the family. So, you know, I gotta do these as I can do them. So basically, while I try to straighten things out, we might still be on a sporadic schedule, but my hope is that, you know, through the summer, I'm going to get back on track and that the show um, will catch up on all that old stuff and start putting out more of the topic-based, you know, material and, you know, we'll keep up with better coverage of the TV and movie side of things. So all that's just my rambling long way of getting to the fact that this episode we're going to talk about the Marvel Netflix deal as if it's still going on. I know that I sounded pretty optimistic that just because Disney was coming out with its own streaming service that they would also keep a relationship with Netflix, which, yeah, egg on my face, obviously not. <laughs> but, you know, other than that, like I said, our commentary on the first season of Punisher is still valid. So I hope that you enjoy this episode, and I'll talk to you again at the end of the episode. Let's meet our cast for this week. So first off, it is the man that you love to hate, and that is Ryan Guthrie. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. You're welcome. Can I hate to hate him? <laughs> you get yeah. Yes, everyone who hates me should hate to hate me. That makes I'm fine with that. But either way, I'm still in your head, so it's a win for me. Right. <laughs> you know what's sad is when I have some older podcasts that I'm editing. When I like am editing it, and I'm like, oh man, I just came up with the best comeback for Ryan, and it's like, oh well, <laughs> it's too late now. Yeah. No, the really sad ones are when I'll be listening to a podcast that we've done, and I'll realize that I've done like a complete 180 on the opinion that I'm <laughs> stating. <laughs> no, those are my favorites. Fiction, <laughs> right. 
What's even better is if I choose the order such that when you're doing five questions where you said one answer one week and then the next week you said the opposite answer. Yeah, that sounds right too. <laughs> so that people can get your flip-flopping back to back. I'm mercurial. <laughs> so is anything new and exciting? Like a woman, he is a mystery. <laughs> An enigma. You know? <laughs> Nothing too exciting. Oh, oh, I'm about to take a train ride for the first time. Ooh. We're visiting family in Arizona, so we're going to spend 25 hours on an Amtrak train. And so that's going to be uh, an adventure. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. I've never ridden a train other than like like the tiny ones at parks. You yeah. know, that kind of the, thing. Like, you the know? longest I've ever been on a train was like two hours, you know. So, uh, right. This, this would be something else. You know, I've never, um, I don't know, never had to worry about like brushing my teeth on a train before. <laughs> right. Why do you get used poster in the room? Yeah. I think I one train. Yeah, see, I always associate trains with, like, spy movies and stuff, because they always have to have that as a location, you know, where some sort of fight on a train. Well, if I have to solve a murder, that's fine. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) For about four years running, I actually took the train from Greensboro to Atlanta for Dragon Con, because I did the math, and it was about 100 bucks for the train, or 100 bucks in gas, parking, Mm. and everything else. So it's like, well, you know, I'll let somebody else do the driving. Yeah, there's a lot of logic to that. But yeah, you know, the other funny thing that I realized the other day, Ryan, is that I've finally gotten you out of Arizona with the podcast episodes. Ah. They're no more recorded from when you were in Arizona. <laughs> so, oh, really? Huh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you know, I almost feel like when I'm on vacation now, uh, I should record one just to give you, you know, one from it there. Oh, okay. A throwback. I don't know. <laughs> one for the road. One, yeah. Well, supposedly there's Wi-Fi on the train, thank God. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, cool, cool. But anything else uh, going on? No, I'm because I've, I'm going on this trip, I'm working 12-hour days today and tomorrow. Mm. So I'm, I'm physically exhausted, but mentally I'm at least at 70%. So I think that's enough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, why should today's podcast be any different, right? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, Skype tell, has all your names on the bottom, so I can figure out who you are. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> oh, well, it's good to have you back, right? Thank you. All right. So next up is the lady that always gives us well-thought-out opinions. She's a cosplayer, and she was once voted to be the most likely person to be a Greek statue at her school, and that is Angie. How are you doing, Angie? I'm doing really well, thanks. You're welcome. So, uh, anything new and exciting happening for you, Angie? Well, we're going to Disneyland here in a couple weeks, so I'm kind of permitting and saving money. But my husband bought me one of those, like, reissue Super Nintendo Raspberry Pis for my birthday since I didn't have a childhood. And I've been playing Super Mario World, a lot of that. I suck at Super Mario World. But I'm, I'm giving it the old like I was seven years old try since I didn't get to do it when I was seven. <laughs> right. But do you know what you had, Angie? Hmm. You had 8-Bit Tolkien. 8-Bit Lord of the Rings. Yes, I, <laughs> I had to put up with terrible, terrible PC games. That was all I could have. I visited Angie, I don't know, 15 years ago or something. <laughs> and we played this Lord of the Rings computer game that she had. It was, it was really primitive, but uh, it was fun. But that's that's one of my strong memories from that. Well, and it was super buggy, but I didn't quite understand what bugs were at the time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, just 
would hit them all and then be really confused. Well, I just remembered that the fellowship was like a bloodbath, where it's like the ring keeps passing, like, you know, Frodo's dead, like, Sam's dead. Like, I can't remember who was left. Well, I got it into my head that I could kill the Balrog, so I did. And then all he had on him loot-wise was a sword. I almost <laughs> threw my computer. Oh, man. That's awesome that you're getting to play Super Nintendo games now. I'm really happy about it. I mean, I'm really frustrated about it. There's a lot of swearing and screaming, but <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I got a... Uh, because I... See, it, it got to this point where, like... I kept my old systems thinking I'm going to give them to my kids, but then it became like a thing of, but these are like, you know, vintage now, and I don't really want them to destroy these things. So Uh I've been getting the reissue type stuff to do the same thing like what you're doing. Like they've got what's called an Atari flashback. They've got this thing, this guy, this guy basically developed an NES from scratch that can play the old cartridges. It's called an AVS. And since I have the cartridges, I got that. So that, and it, and it outputs HDMI so it can be played on modern televisions. So mm-hmm. the kids have been playing regular NES games also, but I just don't want them handling my actual NES because I'm afraid they're going to break it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, <sighs> bringing it back to Tolkien, it's like, my precious, my precious. You're, you're, you wouldn't let them uh, take the figures out of the box either, would you? <laughs> they're not allowed to touch my figures. <laughs> I actually gave them all my old, they have all my old Transformers and my Star Wars figures and stuff like that, but, like, the stuff I've bought as an adult, like my Doctor Who action figures and stuff, they don't touch those. (laughs) Those are mine. (laughs) My daughter, my youngest one, plays with them anyway when I'm not looking, but, you know, whatever. Kids will be kids. And then blames the cat after the fact. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, we have gotten some of that kind of stuff, too, where it's like... I didn't do it. <laughs> it's like, hmm, let me see here. <laughs> you know? The cat, like, took, picked them up and then put them down in different places, yeah. But anyway, it's not a big deal to me. I just prefer she doesn't touch them because I don't want them to get worn out and fall apart. But my old Star Wars toys, they're already worn out and falling apart so she can have those. You can't break them any more than they are. <laughs> right. <laughs> and my Transformers and stuff. I love the fact my kids love Transformers. It makes me happy. But anyway. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, so um, that's really cool, Angie. Yeah, my good time. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> no problem. <It's, laughs> I think you anticipated the next thing I was going to say, which was great to have you back. I was just saying that's really cool. <laughs> Since I was digressing onto my own topic. But anyway. <laughs> and that final voice that you heard, you know him from the Revcast. You know him from Dragon Con. He is an expert on all classic sci-fi stuff. And that is Gary Mitchell. How are you doing, Gary? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. So anything new and exciting happened for you lately, Gary? Uh, I've been made co-director of uh, programming of the Otherworlds track at Hulanta. Oh. Atlanta's premier Doctor Who convention. So you are branching out. You are going to be multi-conned. Yes, I am. <laughs> Which actually sounds like you're some sort of criminal. <laughs> a multi-con. <laughs> he, he's, he's biconual. Right. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know me, any con that'll have me. Hey, hi, how you doing? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's going to be all the pro- it's all the programming that's not in one of the other tracks, which means it's not Doctor Who, it's not British or literary, or there's a kid's track. So we it, it's, it's very similar. It feels very similar to my classics track in that it's all of history. <laughs> you know, everything that everybody else isn't doing. Oh, so all of it. Okay. <laughs> Let's... 
Can we narrow that down? No. At least no? that okay. sounds fairly simple, though, because Dragon Con is always like how their where their different tracks end and begin. Sometimes it gets like kind of like an Escher painting, <laughs> where it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. how does that make sense? That shouldn't that one be over here, and this series should be here, and it's just like don't think about it. <laughs> don't ask questions just roll with it uh, but for Get any of the listeners <laughs> yes but for any of the people who will be in atlanta may 4th to 6th uh come see us oh and may the 4th be with you exactly <laughs> you gotta uh you gotta have a star wars panel on the 4th uh we're planning at least two star wars panels if not more so ah <laughs> well very cool very cool and uh i'm very excited that the one of the main uh guests is louise jameson ah uh, yes i've met her a couple of times yeah i'm looking forward to that yeah <laughs> yeah she's a lot of fun the best is if you can get her and fraser hines together because mm-hmm. they riff off each other so much you know they didn't work together on the show but you know for whatever reason <laughs> as actors they just they love being with each other, and it's a lot of fun. She's she's fun by herself too. Cool. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm I'm in. We we just started serious plant cr- countdown crunch time planning mode for that. So that that's been consuming most of my life lately. Yep, I can certainly understand that. Anything else going on? Nothing I can say on a recorded podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, well then. <laughs> Turn off the recorder. Turn off the recorder. <laughs> <laughs> let's save the ears of our listeners and uh, but yes. it's uh good to have you back gary <laughs> thank you sir you're welcome all right so you know what time it is it's time for a five minute controversy Woo! yes because we got rid of five questions because it was just taking way 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 too long <laughs> thank you jennifer <laughs> all right so today's controversy so oh, i don't know if three or four weeks ago now there was a big hoopla announcement from disney about how there would be no more series on netflix uh no more marvel series on netflix they would continue with what they're doing but everything else would either go to their new streaming service or to hulu there's been a lot of discussion about it i've seen everything from conspiracy theories by people that Disney is lying to us, they're going to pull the shows from Netflix to, you know, people uh, complaining that, but how can I have my Moon Knight Ghost Rider, <laughs> you know, Punisher team-up series that I was so sure they were about to do? You know, so... Keep dreaming, new Moon Knight fans, keep dreaming. <laughs> right, so... I don't know, they're doing Cloak and Dagger or anything's possible at this right. point. <laughs> So, putting aside the whole idea of whether or not it makes business sense, because that's a whole other thing, and I think it probably does, the question that I wanted to put to you guys is, creatively, do you think that this is a good idea for Disney to just parcel off these five shows that they already have on Netflix and start using other platforms, or do you think that uh, they should still continue to work for work with Netflix? Well, <laughs> I agree with you that from a business standpoint, it yeah, probably makes perfect sense. Creatively, though, that that's an interesting question. With one and a half uh, exceptions, I, I think they've had some real success creatively with their their Marvel shows. They've they've all actually, I guess they're all successes. They're all coming back for at least a second season, right? With the possible exception of the Defenders, I haven't heard anything about that. So the demand is there. People are clearly enjoying them, uh, even if they don't quite hit for everyone. They're still hitting for enough people. So really, 
what it's going to come down to, I think, is just if there if the audience is there and to, it, to bring it back to business, whether Disney can make money off of it. Netflix, I think, is all in. They'll do it for as, as long as they can because, you know, again, money. Although, I don't know, on the other side of that, Netflix is throwing out new shows like crazy as well, so who knows? But flat out creatively, I would say it's better to have, uh, not better not to have all your eggs in one basket. So I'm fine with them kind of splitting them up a bit. From a business sense, it standpoint, it totally makes sense. If Disney does want its own streaming service, everybody, well, and every studio pretty much wants their own streaming service now. It makes total sense for them to take the stuff that they know is a hit and that they produce and do in-house to bring it to their own home portal. But for the sake of my wallet, would you people knock this off? <laughs> yes, that, that is a whole, that's the whole other dimension to it, which we talked about on this podcast and I don't know what episode number it was, but we talked about uh, how we wanted to get everyone to get off our lawn and stop doing these streaming services. <laughs> Well, it's like, you know, I, I cut the cord. I don't pay for cable. I just pay for internet and subscription services. And now I have so many subscription services, I might as well be paying for cable. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's how they get you. Well, and, and thanks to the Fox deal, once that goes through, Disney will also have two-thirds of Hulu. So they'll have right. two-thirds of Hulu and their own streaming service. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah honestly, what I was... The, for me, the smart play for Disney, because, you know, if there's anybody that knows how to make money and has buckets of money sitting around, it's Disney. Yeah. Just buy Netflix or buy Hulu. We've already got subscribers. Um, I suspect they probably made an offer and Netflix turned them down. I mean, I don't. I'm just talking out of, you know. But, yeah, I mean, I think that was probably what the Netflix shows were originally, just kind of a... And, of course, their deal with the Disney to begin with a couple of years ago where they would have all their Disney content, uh, oh, new yeah. content on netflix yeah. i'm sure it's kind of a yeah just testing the waters yeah and i kind of also have to say of all the streaming services that have been pitched disney is the one that actually makes the most sense because there's so much content they've got espn they have all the animated stuff they've got pixar they got marvel they've got enough right there to justify hey if you want disney we're your house come here whereas you know with cbs it's like well we've got star trek and and yeah. the stuff you can watch for free already and <laughs> don't get me started on the well it's five bucks if you want to pay you know, to watch it and you still get to deal with commercials yeah see, you see that's where if disney does their everything from marvel to star wars to the muppets then yeah it's totally worth it if they go the warner brothers route where they kind of do it piecemeal different services that's what just really makes me see red well i will just kind of interject here that they've already said that R-rated content would go to Hulu because they don't want it, and you know they they feel like the Disney brand has a certain feel to it that they they don't want yeah. like mature or adult content on it, and so they they already said they're going to parcel that off to Hulu. Well, then that would be the Marvel shows too, wouldn't it? Because those things are pretty R. Well, I don't know. Runaway so far is the only thing they've done on Hulu, and that wasn't very R. No. And then the Netflix stuff is going to stay on Netflix. I see. This is the, all right. All right. I'm going to digress here a little bit and talk about business side. But uh, you know, the people who think there's some sort of conspiracy that Disney is first lying to us. Well, first of all, why? They don't need to keep the fans happy by saying we're going to keep these on Netflix. It, it doesn't matter. We'll watch it if they move it to their, you know, to Hulu or their new streaming service. So it's not. You know, if we're already invested, that's going to happen. So, but the other thing is, we'll we'll see what kind of content goes on Hulu. But I expect it'll be Netflix level or higher. But the Netflix stuff is not moving to Hulu unless Dis or unless Netflix cancels them, and then maybe Disney would move them to Hulu if they feel strongly about keeping them going. But as long as Netflix is is riding that gravy train, they're just going to keep doing it. 
Because that way Netflix is putting money towards it too. It's less for Disney to, you know, have to do themselves. Yeah. That's my opinion on that. There's no conspiracy. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. All right, I'm sorry, Gary, but yeah. So I don't think the Netflix stuff is going anywhere is basically my point. I don't see Disney starting its own service without yanking the Netflix shows that they know are a success over there, but it's going to depend on the contract they have with Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. I think creatively, it's a bad idea. I know that Disney has made a lot of good decisions for a long time, but it makes me uncomfortable that so much content is under their wheelhouse. It makes me feel like we're going to lose a lot of maybe alternative viewpoints or essentially Disney is, has always been kind of an appeal to the masses sort of company. And I, I like, and one of the things I've liked about the Netflix Marvel shows is that they've, they've sometimes managed to do quite clever things that go a little bit against the grain. And I fear that we'll lose that with Disney having its own service and having such tight control out of all of its content. Hmm. I don't know. At the same time, they've been fairly hands-off with a lot of the Pixar and Marvel stuff. So so far, but they've had to deal with a lot of other people. I mean, the their massive acquisitions have been relatively recent. So I think we still have to see, you know, if, if that creative control remains a little bit more independent. Yeah, I think the first time that Marvel has a massive flop or Lucasfilm has a massive flop, that we'll suddenly see Disney exercising a lot more control over, you know, everything from there on. Because so far, everything's making a lot of money for them. So it's like, hey, why mess with, with success? I don't know. I mean, the Marvel's two arguable flops have both been on the TV side. And they've both been uh, ABC, Agent Carter and uh, Inhumans. So, and that first one was a travesty. That wasn't a flop. <laughs> So, humans definitely was a flop, and, <laughs> and Iron Fist is kind of on the fence. Last time thing, Iron Fist, I creatively, I don't get it, but it had the viewership, so I guess that's what counts in the end. But so that's just it. They're still doing basic, regular TV as well. They're still doing Freeform and ABC stuff, and wherever New Warriors is going to fall, I'm not sure about that one. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think they are just throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. Well, I will say this. New Warriors, they've officially stated, will be part of their new streaming service, the Disney-specific one. Ah. That's why it's not going to be on Freeform anymore. They pulled it from from that. But uh, yeah, just for my two cents on the creative side, I think that with all that Marvel says about everything being connected, the fact of the matter is nothing that isn't on the same network is ever going to really cross over in any meaningful way. You know, it's like how the movies, like the TV shows sometimes mention the movies, but the movies never mention the TV shows. And even, like, nobody on Netflix has ever mentioned S.H.I.E.L.D. It's like each of these is like a separate module that they kind of have on its own thing that the movies are the highest hierarchy, the shows can reference the movies, but even the TV shows never like cross over if they're not on the same network. So I would prefer to have more together, which is why I'm kind of disappointed that we can't add more characters into that Netflix sub-universe. But we'll just have to see about how things go with Hulu and everything else, if they, you know, what kind of characters they decide to put into Hulu. But I would have rather allowed... But at the same time, maybe Netflix didn't have much capacity for more. I mean, it's five shows, possibly six, if Defenders gets a second season, and maybe... They just decided this is kind of our limit, and so we don't want to add another Marvel show for a while. 
that so maybe it doesn't make much of a difference but i would rather have that option open what would be interesting is if they actually do get the mutant license back and the fantastic four back to put those on the new streaming service no i i have a very strong feeling that fantastic four will be a film but to see mutants on tv i'm fairly certain we'll see more mutant properties than just the gifted on tv if the especially with the gifted through. doing so well right exactly i i think that's pretty much a, a sure thing but yeah, I, I would rather personally see Fantastic Four on, on film rather than on a TV show. But we'll see what happens. All right, so five-minute controversy once again, about ten minutes. <laughs> but it's still well. shorter than five questions. <laughs> Did I hear somebody with a stopwatch, too, for a while there? thought I heard a clicking in what? the background. <laughs> thought somebody was timing me. Anyway. Did you hear, hear the Jeopardy music? You no, know? no. I heard like a ticking <laughs> clock like 60 minutes. But anyway. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, before we dive into our topic, let's pause for a moment for a promo from another fine podcast. Are you looking for a podcast that's a little bit out of the ordinary, a little bit crazy, and a little bit on the rambunctious side? Well, if I got something for you, it's called Vitamin Geek Podcast. My name's Corey Keelan. I'm the host and creator of Vitamin Geek Podcast, and I'm here to invite you to listen to my show. Each episode, I'm coming to you with whatever I think is important at the time. Maybe it's a new movie. Maybe it's a comic book. Maybe it's horror. Maybe it's drag queens. Who knows? I love to talk, and I'd just love to get you guys involved in the conversation. I invite you all to check out my Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash vitamin geek podcast. I would love to hear your feedback. So please join me and check us out here, Vitamin Geek Podcast, here on the ESO Network. And we're back. And today we're going to talk about Marvel's The Punisher, which, and I don't think I've ever heard or seen anyone mention this before. The Punisher is a character that the only one that's been rebooted as much as Spider-Man. You know, Spider-Man, we had the Tobey Maguire and the Andrew Garfield versions, and now we have Tom Holland. And the 70s TV series. Well, yes, but I'm talking, all right, in recent history, since, since the new crop of you know, Marvel movies kind of have, have popped up since, you know, the late 90s with Blade. You know, we've had three incarnations of Spider-Man. Forget the guy with the salt and pepper shaker eyes. <laughs> right. We, we, we need to come up with a, a calendar-type definition for Marvel discussions. You know, pre and post. A, a B, before Blade, BB, and after Blade. You know? <laughs> 
<laughs> in the year of our blade. Anobladus. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway. When Wesley Snipe proved he can do an entire movie without blinking. <laughs> but it, but in that same time span, we've had the three Punishers, too. I mean, you know, we had Thomas Jane. I can't remember the name of the guy from War Journal or War Zone, Ray, whatever it was called. Race Dolph Lundgren. Oh, okay. Well, yes, but yes, that's before what I'm talking. I'm, I'm talking about within the same quick period, you know, where everybody complained <laughs> Spider-Man's been rebooted three times. You know, we've had the Punisher rebooted three times in the same period and nobody's really like said anything like this is too much. So, yes, and now we have John Bernthal as our third Punisher uh, and, and our MCU Punisher. So kind of following, again, the same kind of convention with Tom Holland was the MCU entry. And now our third Punisher is the MCU entry. So I just thought that was kind of a weird, you know, thing to just think about. Yeah. But yeah, so let's um, start. Well, first of all, um, Gary, I'm going to say, go out on a limb here. I, I'm pretty sure you've seen both Punisher movies, right? I've seen all three, yes. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm not letting Dolph go. Okay, fine. Uh, Ryan, have you seen both Punisher movies uh, in the last decade? I, and I've seen all the Punisher movies in this century yes. and the previous century, if, okay. if we are going to get technical. And I am of the rare opinion uh, of liking Warzone, that I actually think it was slightly better than the Thomas Jane one. We're, we're going to get to that. You're anticipating my next question. I just wanted uh-huh. to make sure that everybody had seen but Angie, have you seen Punisher and Punisher Warzone? Uh, I have not seen Warzone. Okay. And I did see the, what, 2004? Four, three, yeah. Four? I think it's four. Um, yeah. I can't tell you anything about okay. it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, but Ryan. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Ryan, you already started telling us. So, yeah, what was your opinion of the, of the previous two movies? When I saw them in the theaters, I liked them both. Years later, on rewatching them, I obvious flaws jump out at me i liked thomas jane as punisher i thought actually the short that he released uh, i don't know sometime what five five or six years ago now i guess mm-hmm. yeah. the laundry laundry day i think it was, yeah, was dirty it was laundry called. it's dirty laundry. bootleg universe it's really yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic it really is i i never had a problem with the casting for him it was his story i i that was one of the few movies where i was in danger of falling asleep during the whole oh i'm gonna get john travolta by giving him parking tickets with a fake hydrant or yeah. something. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> whereas right. <laughs> warzone i felt was actually truer to the punisher mythos it was dirtier it was grittier it was bloodier didn't necessarily care for Jigsaw, but or even Micro, uh, what's his name as Micro, but I felt that it captured just the real spirit of Punisher in a way that the Thomas Jane version didn't. And Gary, what about you? Um, I'm kind of in the same boat as Ryan there. There are parts of the Thomas Jane Punisher movie that I think are great, but it pisses me off because they took one of the great Punisher comic book story arcs of Welcome Back Frank and really did not do it justice. In the comics, it was much more of a black comedy. It was a lot better. The Russian is a hell of a villain. And in the movie, he doesn't get any lines at all, which really annoyed me. And the other thing that annoyed me about it was the fact he spends like 27 minutes, it feels like, building this Uber Uh. Punisher car (laughs) that is like, oh, he's going to do this badass 70s action scene with this car. And he drives it at a guy and it gets flipped over and done. And like, we spent how much screen time on this piece of crap? Yeah. And he's also, but Ryan's also right again on the second one. It's while Thomas Jane is the better Punisher, the Punisher Warzone is the more Punisher-ish movie. It really captures the spirit of the character, especially 
his, oh my god, I killed a cop, can I still be the Punisher? And one of my favorite movie scenes of all time, when the one cop is trying to interrogate this mafia scumbag, and Frank just comes around the corner and shoots the guy in the face while the other guy's talking to him. He's like, do you mind? Right. <laughs> I, oh, wow. I, I've never been near so many people that agree with me about Warzone. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a great movie, but it's a fun movie. Right, I'm always told that the Thomas Jane Punisher was perfect. It was just the most wonderfulest Punisher uh-huh. thing ever, and that <laughs> no, Warzone no. was awful. You know, <laughs> I'm like, I actually like Warzone better. Yeah, well, I mean, the, you got Thomas Jane, you got Roy Scheider, you've got some, you've got some really good acting, but the plot's just bleh. like I said, this it's you know, this if you want a good action movie, the Thomas Jane one's a fine action movie. Not quite the Punisher. Punisher Warzone's not a great movie, but it's a good Punisher movie. Yeah, I, that's what I was going to say. I like Thomas Jane if he was just some generic action star. Like, this is like my action movie for my new character. I would probably have liked it better, but I just kind of felt like, yeah, it wasn't very... It was like they were trying to make the Punisher, like, you know, a lot more upbeat kind of character, which is not how I see <laughs> They were also trying to be more real world with him. Right. But Warzone was definitely a lot more, uh, you know, how I envisioned the Punisher. Yeah, I really wonder what would have happened if Thomas Jane's scheduling had worked that he had been able to be in Warzone. Oh, was it a scheduling issue? Was that the only reason That's he wasn't That's the main in? thing I heard. It was a scheduling oh, thing. Oh, okay. I thought they were just trying to do something different. Okay. Because Thomas Jane loves the character. Oh, no, I know that. I know that he loves the character. I mean, that's why he made his own little short film, you know, about it, where he couldn't say he was the Punisher. But we all knew what he was doing. <laughs> Tim Bradstreet, who did a lot of the covers for the Garth Ennis run, actually would have Thomas Jane come over and pose, and he'd draw, you know, and use him as reference photos for the covers of the comic. That is really cool. Also, for what it's worth, Warzone was directed by a woman, which was the first Marvel movie to actually be directed by a woman. And it's kind of crazy when you just... I think that kind of defies the expectations that many certain fans would have. The thing, the thing about Warzone that I'll never forget is that I'm watching it, and I'm like, there's something about the female lead. Who is that? How do I know her? And then I'm like, holy crap, it's Darla! <laughs> it's Darla! From Angel and Buffy! <sighs> but anyway, so <laughs> that, was, that was a shock when I finally realized that. But anyway, so Julie Benz, I think her name is? Something like yeah. that. All right, so 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 the reason why I wanted to go back and talk about that a little bit was it dovetails into something I wanted to talk about with the Netflix series. And Angie, I'm sorry that you've had to be on pause while we've been talking about this, but this is where I'm going to ask you, because to me, one of the things that I've hated about a lot of adaptations recently is the need to create a conspiracy of some kind to create more reason behind you know, a character becoming the character. So, like, in the comics, the Punisher, it's a completely random event. They're at the park, some sort of crime deal goes bad, there's some shooting, his family gets killed, and so his thing is, this could have happened to anybody, so I'm going to take out all criminals so no one ever has to do this. To me, with Frank in this version, also in the Thomas Jane version, with it being a very specific thing where he, he was specifically targeted, I don't see where he go. you know, I don't see how this makes him the Punisher. 
because at the end of the day, once he's taking care of the people who did this, it's it's almost over. So I, I kind of wanted everybody's thoughts on that. But Angie, we'll start with you because we've been <laughs> kind of going on our own thing here. What do you think about that? Do you think that that's it's a good way to go? Or do you think that all this conspiracy stuff kind of muddles the waters of the, the character's origin? And why would they continue beyond this point? That's a good question. I don't think that they would have an issue making a Punisher season two, just because they spent a lot of time this season with him kind of developing these other connections that actually lived through the end of the season. (laughs) So, I mean, he, you know, this season kind of drove home the point that he just can't quit. Like, he can't quit. And this one is obviously going to be his most personal kind of mission, but I don't think, I mean, he's not going to retire. Like, I I just don't think they'll have have trouble finding some other cause for him to pick up now are they all going to be real personal to him i think that would get a little bit old <laughs> well, yeah micro's family dies next season oh we gotta suit up again <laughs> yeah i mean but it, but they've shown him to be this character that kind of in spite of himself makes these connections with people so i i don't think they'll have trouble finding motivations for him moving forward and I say that, honestly, my, my only exposure to the Punisher was that his appearance in the Spider-Man cartoon and one Marvel card when I was a kid um, and this 2004 movie, which all I remember thinking was there was less gunfights than I thought there should be. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will agree with that. There were less gunfights than there should have been in that movie. So, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, and I didn't read the comic, so I'm, I'm not really attached to any sort of origin story to say, well, it's, you know, it's better that it's a completely random act. I just think it's, it's different, but I don't think that they've necessarily painted him into a corner with this. That's actually, I think the whole point of the first episode of the Netflix series. Uh, So I'll save a lot of my thoughts on that until we start talking the show in specific. But that is kind of like he at the the whole point of well I've killed everybody resp- everybody even <laughs> tangentially responsible with the death of my family so now I'm just gonna go beat up a building <laughs> right well but then he finds out there were more people involved and so it's like I've got to get back in <laughs> right and here's the thing is Frank especially when he's written right is a character that this is what he does because he's driven to do it and it's the only thing he knows how to do. It's the only way he knows how to respond. Some get a little deeper with it. Some get a little shallow. But in the end, it's Frank is driven by rage and this feeling of, I've got to do something because nobody else is doing it. And he's great as a counterpoint to other characters who feel the same way, but don't go as far as he does. So I think it's it, the, really the only way, like Dirty Laundry shows, the only way we need to set off Frank to, you know, I've quit, I'm done, wait, somebody just got hit. <laughs> you know, he, he will get back in the game. Okay. So I don't mind the conspiracy, the, especially if you have like 13 episodes you got to hang a show on. It certainly gives you a through line that's easy to do and follow. I hope they don't have a conspiracy next season, or if they do, it's a different conspiracy, not related to what he, you know, who killed his family. <laughs> there were even more people beyond it manipulating the people behind that. It just keeps right. on going. <laughs> but it was a good, it's a good story, so, and and I'll leave, like I said, I'll leave the rest of the discussion to actually getting into it. Okay. Ryan? Yeah, I mean, I think they wanted to do something just a little bit different, and they, they even kind of planted the seeds for it in Daredevil Season 2 you know, with finding the, the disc from Micro and everything. So in that sense, I, I feel like this the season as a whole and the whole conspiracy idea was just a process to get Frank to become the Punisher. Because I, I think the Punisher, even 
in a sense, yeah, it's something primal, but it, it's kind of bigger than him and bigger than his own vengeance. It's you see this in the way uh, again, not to talk about specific <laughs> series, but how all it takes is a criminal act to on perpetrated on someone else for that to come back. He thought he was done, and then he was brought back in through no action directed towards him, just from being a by from what was happening to a bystander, you know, in the wrong place at the wrong time. So, yeah, it's it's just the conspiracy was just a way to kind of get that that overarching story to make to take it to the next level and to hook us as an audience. Yeah, I don't know. It's just one of those things. I mean, I watch it in Gotham. I see it in The Punisher. It was a problem I had with the Thomas Jane Punisher. And it's just one of those things where I'm like, it, it's okay to make these, like, random acts, you know? And to me, that makes their origin stronger because then it makes sense of why they wage war on all, you know, criminals because it's like, it could have been anybody, you know? And so it's mm-hmm. more of like a... It, it generalizes more easily in the mind, at least in my to my thinking. You know... I don't know why, but I agree with you on Batman, but I don't think it matters for Punisher. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, he's still going to shoot people. It doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, one thing I am going to say, I mean, Gary, I know that you're a big Punisher fan going back. Ryan, from from comics, were you at all interested in the Punisher? Uh, (laughs) In the sense that, you know, a teenage boy is going to be interested in some guy with a gun, you know, killing criminals. Yeah, I mean, he was kind of a badass. (laughs) I never had much time for the Punisher. Um... I always felt like he was a little too gra- like if I want escapism entertainment he's a little too grounded where you know it's anyone can really grab a gun and mow down a bunch of people and you know I was more interested in people with powers and things that were more you know fantasy than than the Punisher was but Daredevil season 2 sold yeah. me on the Punisher in a way that no inter- you know no comic and again, I never really read a lot of Punisher comics. He, he was a guest star in other books that I was reading when he would butt heads with Spider-Man or whoever. You know, the animated version, all the different versions of the Punisher that I've seen. And, and the Burnthal version hooked me in a way that no other version has. I felt like I got this guy. I sympathized with this guy. And I feel like that performance carried through the entire Punisher series. I mean, I've seen some people online complaining about how slow or boring it is. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I was expecting it to be a lot more violent and gory than the show as a whole turned out to be. But it's okay because I felt like his, you know, the the story of Frank and the way John Bernthal performed it was so strong that I just kept wanting to watch to see what happened with him. And so, Angie, I know that you have no real affinity for The Punisher either. I mean, did you feel, you know, similarly? Yeah, John Bernthal... He's one of those actors that just is so commanding on screen. I feel kind of the same about like Tomo Penniket from Galactica. Like he just has such a presence that like you can't really tear your eyes away, which I always find really interesting to watch. So um, yeah, I definitely him showing up in in Daredevil um, made me kind of on board with watching this series. I'm not sure if I would have otherwise. Well, that and because I asked you to. <laughs> You did ask me to finish it for this podcast, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm also a completionist, so I probably would have gotten around to it eventually. Right. Yeah, yeah, so I, I didn't have any real need to watch this, but I was definitely interested because of Daredevil. So what do you guys think about Burnthal as the Punisher? <laughs> I think I think he nailed it. It's He brought as strange as it sounds, a vulnerability to the role that neither Thomas Jane or Ray Stevenson really got. 
And again, yeah. to be fair, those were two-hour movies versus 13 hours here plus his whole uh, run on Daredevil. So I don't know. He, I think he just he made the Punisher understandable. Not you, you didn't necessarily condone what he was doing, but you rooted for him all the same. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. And I really like that they. Uh, there are two things that I really like about having him in Daredevil. One was that they gave us a physiological reason for what's going on with the brain damage that he suffered and sort of the heightened adrenal. You know, remember, they, they were talking about how he's like constantly on adrenaline and he's constantly having flashbacks to the moment when, when his family was murdered. Yeah, he's locked in that moment when his family died. Right. So, you know, that psychologically, that gives you more of a hook for it, that this isn't just some guy that likes to kill people. This is, he's in like this really, you know, the state you know, the state of mind that that's kind of making him this way. The other thing that I really liked about it was that it allowed him to come up against someone else as a vigilante that's taken the law into their own hands, but that won't cross that line of killing, which I think is so important. I mean, it's why the Punisher started as a supporting character. He was not meant to be the star, you know, when he was created. He was meant to be someone to challenge Spider-Man, you know, and challenge Spider-Man's preconceptions about things. I think Daredevil works better, because I think he's closer to that line than Spider-Man, so I really, really like the idea of him being in Daredevil. But, you know, I liked that, that he started that way. We got to have that sympathy. We got to see things through, things through his point of view while being part of Matt's story, and then spun him off into his own show. I, and, and that's just a latitude we never had with the movies, because Lionsgate only had, you know, a handful of characters to work with, and they wanted the Punisher to be its own thing and not interact with the other properties they had licensed from Marvel. So I think that helped a lot as well. Gary, uh, what did you think of Bernthal? I think he's amazing. I think Bernthal is, like everybody else said, he's able to bring a depth to the character that needs to be there for Punisher to be more than just the laziest, easiest way to write the Punisher is he's a crazy guy with a gun. He's, you know, he's Chuck Bron Charles Bronson in Death Wish. No. Which is kind of what he was created as. Well, well, no, I just want to bring up one thing, though. Like, people complain about when, when the Punisher got canceled, you know, all his titles got canceled in the mid-90s, you know, and they rebooted him a little bit later. But, the, you know, it's one of the things they complained about was that the writing was all over the place. Like, in mm -hmm. one book, like, Frank's, like, this really methodical, thoughtful-type character. In another one, he's shooting people for jaywalking, you know? Oh, you broke yeah. the law! That, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and that's all editorial. You know, and the, right, for me, the best writers for the Punisher ever were Garth Ennis and Chuck Dixon. Both guys who really understood Frank and made him more than just, I'm gonna kill you! <laughs> and... Benethal really caught that, and for me, he's a lot like Sebastian Stan, who is someone who can play strong, tough, but you can see in his eyes there's a vulnerability, there's a woundedness, a humanity that's under the, uh, I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, so of all the actors who've played the Punisher, I think he really nailed Frank Castle. And if you don't get Frank right, then everything else is downhill. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, you know, part of that, part of that vulnerability, part of that connection, which again started with Daredevil, was with Karen. And, you know, Karen was brought into this series. She's in, you know, several of the episodes. I like seeing her. I'm glad that it's not Claire connecting every show always, you know. <laughs> Give someone else some well, love, you know. <laughs> well, she's off having sweet Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Lots having of coffee. coffee. <laughs> right. Tall glass of coffee. Anyway. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, it was good seeing Karen in this. 
I did make some jokes about how she couldn't have two vigilante boyfriends die in the same year. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of her scenes where she's like frank don't do this don't go into danger or whatever i'm like because i can't have two vigilante boyfriends die the same year so what do you guys think about that relationship because i i keep thinking that they're going to go romance with it but it feels so wrong to go romance with it but it almost kind of feels like that's what the writers and, and the direction is trying to do with them so I, I mean do you guys see that too do you think they should go there do you think it's i, I don't know i mean uh, uh gary let's start with you on this one well, everybody loves to shove a love story in somewhere, but Frank's not the place to do that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> not you know, the love of his life died, and he's never going to get over his wife and kids, which maybe you know, which people say is part of his problem. Maybe if Joe, if he, if Frank would fire his other gun every now and then, he'd relax a little. <laughs> but. <laughs> Well, see, that's the thing, though, I, because I, I agree with you. It feels wrong when it's like he's having dreams of his wife and everything else, but mm-hmm. it almost seems like that's the way that they're going with, like, they, they almost look like they're about to kiss. Like, there's, like, five different times in the series where I thought that that's what's going to happen. Yeah, and it's, I can see the te- the reason to go there, especially from a story point of view, but they really shouldn't, and thankfully they didn't go there. It wouldn't surprise me they try to go there next season, if not with Karen, but somebody else. But every time they've given Frank a love interest in the comics, it's pretty much for the sole reason for her to get murdered horribly. (laughs) So he can still keep shooting people, except in one interesting case where he got really intimate with this uh, CIA lady who ended up, he sort of had a relationship with her, but go read it if you're interested. It did not end well, but it was it didn't feel cheap, you know. Like with Karen, it, I think it would feel cheap. It would be okay. We got to have a love story. Here we go. And I don't want them to do that. Yeah. What do you think about that, Angie? My read on it, uh, especially with you know Micro's wife as well, is more that Frank tends to substitute his family. I guess uh, he couldn't save his family, so he keeps finding these people that he needs to protect, like they were his family. And I feel like with Karen, she knows that. And she knows everything about him that there is to know about his past, really. And I I think she's a little bit too smart to go down that road with him. Because it's not really what he wants, even if that's the signals that he's giving off. And then, you know, Micro's wife didn't know any of that. (laughs) She went for it. That was super awkward for everybody. So... I mean, I didn't read it as the doing a will they won't they romance. It was more just kind of showing how how much Frank actually cares about these people and how much he ends up caring about people because he's trying to protect his family essentially, even after they're gone. Well, yeah, my other problem with it is that Karen had such a problem with Matt doing Daredevil, and I'm like, but you're making eyes at Frank. You know, it's like, Frank's Frank's going way further than Matt ever did as Daredevil, but I don't know. That was a problem. Matt wasn't bad enough. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. He wasn't bad enough. (laughs) (laughs) So it kind of annoyed me on the Karen end as well, because I'm like, come on, Karen. (laughs) And with Karen, it's also a matter of the fact that she really does feel empathy for him after the whole thing in season two of Daredevil. So she, I think that's yeah. the main angle she's coming at. It's like she really cares about this damaged guy and would like to see him get help. Yeah, I, I look at it as kind of a um, in another world, you know, what might have been type thing for both of them. They, they, there's an element of romance to it, but it's kind of a, a wistful romance. It's kind of a 
this is never going to happen, but it might have happened if circumstances had been different type thing. So I, I don't know. It, it's, it crosses back and forth between this line between almost like a familial relation and uh, just in a romantic attachment. But whatever it is, it's something deep and very, very intimate between them. No. I swear, and when they were on the elevator together, I thought it was going to be a makeout session. <laughs> <laughs> they're just staring at each other, and they're so close, and I'm like, no. No, so inappropriate. Please, no. <laughs> if it was in Hollywood, if it was a movie in the summer, yeah. that's that, what it would have been. been disappointing if they had gone that route. Right, I know, mean, I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the lengths that he goes to to protect her... I don't think we're used to seeing that in a more platonic relationship. Right. Like, yeah, I would see mixed signals. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so um, let's talk about uh, Micro, then, because we'll stay with sort of in uh, Frank's immediate circle here. I absolutely love the the buddy comedy that ended up, like, going up around those two. I, yes. I, I, I would be just fine with, like... Frank and Micro go down to the store to get some groceries together and just <laughs> they're uh, road trip they're, they're, each other. Right. you stay here but you need someone to push the cart right oh, stay here. <laughs> the dialogue between those two was fantastic the whole time I did not there was never a moment when the two of them were interacting that was just not wonderful to watch you know yeah. so I really like Micro in this. I mean, I felt the whole, like, stalking his family thing was a little creepy. <laughs> I feel like... I see... Here's the thing. I thought they were going to end up getting the family back, but that he was then going to come clean about everything he had been doing, including, like, the spying on them, and that she was going to end up leaving him. You know? <laughs> and it's going to be like... So that's then how Micro becomes, like, Frank's, like, you know, guy in the well. chair because he has no life to return to anymore kind of thing. I mean, that, that could still happen yeah, once the euphoria of him being alive wears off, you know? Yeah. But, but that aside, I liked, I liked Micro a lot as a character, and I at least understood why, because of everything that had gone on, and the fact that, yeah, I mean, if I had to pretend I was dead, you know, I'd want to keep tabs on my family, too, because, you know, I care. Yeah. You know, so it's creepy on one level, but on another level, it's like I totally get, you know, why he would do that. And just sort of the feeling, like, you see in his face all the times he sees all the things happening, whether it's, you know, the kid, you know, slapping his sister and all that kind of stuff, and just, you know, how, how he wants to be there and to be involved, but he knows that he can't. And then, of course, when Frank's over, <laughs> and the mounting, like, anger and frustration of all the things Frank's doing, you know, culminating in the kiss. But I'm glad that that didn't become, like, a sticking point you know, for very long, you know, they had their conversation about it where he was really upset and, you know, but like, it didn't kind of become like, uh, you know, now I'm going to betray you, Frank, because you kissed my wife kind of thing. So yeah, I mean, what did you guys think of Micro? Well, I'm pretty positive that their relationship has spawned new chapters of shipping oh, okay. uh, on the <laughs> well, internet. Yes, but whenever uh, <laughs> there's two males in a series, not even necessarily bound by that, but let's just say in a series, there will be ships. And, and yeah. <laughs> slash fiction written about it. So, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. But the chemistry, I mean, the chemistry between those two was better than anyone else in the show. Between, uh, it, 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 between with, no, yeah, even better than Billy and, um, uh, I'm blanking on uh, the Homeland. Madani? Uh, Madani. Yeah, I mean, it, I, the chemistry between Micro and Frank was just, it was off the charts. Yeah, it was buddy-buddy, and that's fine. And I would love to 
watch a road trip of them across the country, <laughs> sure. But <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, that's that's. Uh, I, I I've seen I've watched that actor who plays um, Micro in a couple of things. I first noticed him in Last Ship a couple of seasons ago, and I just keep seeing him in other and other stuff, and he's just getting really really good. Even Moss Backrock. So yeah, David Lieberman. Yeah. So I would. Yeah. I, I. I. He better be back in season two. Is all I've got to say. Or I won't watch. I will watch. But it would be better if he's back. Is that the way you do things? Valet parking. A real man doesn't do valet parking. <laughs> A real man rams the other cars out of the way. <laughs> Parks himself. <laughs> with an American car. <laughs> right with an American car. <laughs> and then you punch a hipster because you can. <laughs> well, that was, yeah, that was great. <laughs> Angie, what do you think of Micro? I ended up really, really caring about him. Uh, he didn't grab me the first couple episodes. I thought it was kind of irritating and kind of a creeper. But yeah, he ended up being one of my favorite characters. And I didn't know that Micro... I, I assumed that Micro was a comic transplant, but I didn't know. Um, and I also didn't know that Billy was Jigsaw or anything about that. So that was all surprised to me. But yeah, I... Billy I, being a Jigsaw oh, was a surprise pretty much in, at the last, in, until the last episode. Well, yeah, unless people remembered that Jigsaw's original name was Billy Russo, that's the only way you could have known that. But I think he just goes by Jigsaw and has in the comics for, you know, ever since he got scarred. So I don't think anyone really remembered that his name was Billy Russo. Well, regardless, I, yeah, I don't really have much to add. I thought their chemistry was great. I loved their snark and back and forth. And, um, yeah, I, I definitely cared more about him and his family by the end than I started out. Yeah, what about you, Gary? I thought their chemistry was great. I think that my favorite thing about them being buddy buddies, it took three episodes of Frank going, go away! (laughs) (laughs) Before they became buddy buddy. Yeah. I mean, that one whole episode, which was nothing but Frank torturing him to get him to give up, (laughs) why the hell are you following me? It has to be more than this. And, you know, then another solid episode, and pretty much all the way to the end of the series, Frank, you gotta work with me! (laughs) You gotta trust me! Well, and the whole way that he played Frank, while Frank thought that he had the upper hand... That he was playing Frank to get him used to the whole alarm that he had to turn off. Yes. It was all like waiting for Frank to just have that one second where he wasn't, you know, uh, paying attention so that he mm-hmm. could get him, you know. And so that was beautiful. I love that turnaround so much. Yeah. Uh, and showed why Frank does need a guy like that. That he needs a, a meticulous yeah. planner if he's ever going to yeah. be anything more than a thug that, that kills bad guys. Well, and that's the thing is another key of writing the Punisher is you've got to have a good support group around him. They don't have to always be there, but at least make touchstones with him. And for the longest time in the comics, that was Micro. He was pretty much the only guy that that was with Frank all the time. And it ended badly, and I'm going to leave it at that. But I, I love the way they did Micro in this in the show. And if if it would be a shame if he didn't come back, but at the same time, you know, his family is safe. To bring him back into that world, I'm afraid they would kill his family. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think if they left him, that that might be another thing, too. I mean, yeah, I don't think as a happy family man he would come back into Frank's world, but if he was separated from his family anyway, I don't think they need to die, but it could be just a thing of, if he's by himself, then, you know, reaching out to Frank as his friend, especially if Frank needs that kind of logistics support again because of whatever else is happening, I could see it happening again. But, you know, I think you kind of, you alluded to something there, Nathan, to go back to the the discussion about... uh, whether the conspiracy was a good thing or a bad thing, it was a necessary thing to bring Frank and Micro together in a way that's plausible. 
if it was just Frank randomly killing criminals for being criminals, Micro would be pretty much unnecessary for that. So you needed that larger conspiracy to bring him in, to bring them together, and to make it work. No. I don't know. I mean, Spider-Man Homecoming says you always need a guy in the chair. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe maybe Frank will recruit Ned Leeds next. (laughs) (laughs) He can build his Lego Death Star. Tom Arnold from True Lies. (laughs) I'm tired of being in the van. (laughs) I can just imagine Ned building his Lego Death Star while helping Frank. (laughs) Out of Frank's good with kids. Right, yeah. Yeah, that was something that was really good to see, though. Seeing Frank good with kids. Yeah. Well, we should specify with other kids. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Frank is so consumed by guilt because not, you know, not only did he not protect his family, but he feels guilty about all the time he spent away, seeing as how they ended up dead when he came back, which was, you know, the the... What we get in the last few episodes is all that guilt that he has. So he wants to, I mean, this is a man that, I mean, kind of what, like with what Angie was saying with his relationships with women, it's also true with children that he wants to sort of create again that relationship and do right by the, the kids that he's around in a way that he feels like he wasn't able to do with his kids. The, uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about though was that I was listening to another podcast recently and they were sort of taking Frank to task for coming in and being like the Mr. Fix-It because first he talked comments on how the girl's doing, you know, a good job because she's trying to step up and she's trying to, you know, fix things and whatever. But then he's like, oh, but just let me do it. And kind of like the, the angle they went with that was that Frank was kind of like looking down on her as a girl. I didn't really get that from that. I get that as Frank's an experienced, handy guy. And he was just like, I want to help let me do that. I mean, yeah, is is that what everybody else got from that? That's what I got. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if he's trying to do right by the kids, like, you could probably assume that if uh, Micro was still around, that his daughter probably wouldn't be trying to fix the sink herself. I mean, maybe she would have got a guy. Or, yes, they would have got a guy. So, (laughs) yeah, I didn't see anything gender i don't see anything gendered about that at all yeah because i mean and as as far as i remember which i think we cut away to micro watching but i think she was there with him so it's like what a parent would normally do with their child is like hey let me show you how it's done so that you can do it next time you know kind of thing you know as you grow up you'll learn to fix more things yourself so i don't think it was like uh you know go away let the man handle it kind of thing so it's just something that bothered me because I thought that the the Frank's you know the way he interacted with kids is one of the great things about this show. So <laughs> I just wanted your take on it as well. I also think that kind of gets to the misconception that a lot of fans have about Frank. They kind of assume that because he's you know very conservative in one way, he's very conservative in all other ways. That he would have been, he would have said, "No, that's girls don't need to be doing plumbing. You know that that's a guy's job or something like that." And I I guess that was one route to go with him, but that's that's not Frank, and they've established that I, I think from Daredevil season three, may, maybe even uh, through the movies and the, definitely the comics through here that he's a complex and nuanced character. That he's he is a great killing machine, but he's <laughs> you know, but he's not two dimensional in that aspect. Right. Well, you know, and I mean, even what he did with the son, I mean, you can look at that, you know, and then that was another thing that, that, you know, I've, I've heard is, you know, like the whole thing of scaring the kid, you know, it's a little too far. And while I agree, like I would never do anything like that, 
at the same time, I get where he's coming from, but he really wanted to, you know, impress upon this kid just how dangerous that was. Mm -hmm. And Frank, being as trained as he is, we know the kid was never in any real danger. You know, it's not like he was going to slip up and actually kill the kid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I thought the important point of that scene was that when he found out he'd misjudged the situation, how well he was able to pivot and be what the kid needed. I mean, he approached it wrong because he had wrong information and came from his own experience talking about being a little are we allowed to say that? Sorry, you can believe it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, being, being a jerk of a kid himself and kind of made these assumptions and they ended up being wrong, but he still ended up, you know, making this connection with this kid and you see them playing football later. So yeah, it was scary. Like I was like, what are you doing? But to me, the important point was how it ended, not how he came at it. Yeah. The one thing I will say, though, that I agree with is that it seems like once Frank throws the football a few times, everything's fine. (laughs) It kind of seemed like I think I would have liked a little something in the last episode about, you know, either the kid going into counseling or something, you know, just to... We only got 13 episodes. I know, I know. But it seems like that issue just completely got dropped. It was kind of like it was such a big deal for several episodes about how he was, you know, turning out the wrong way and everything. And something would have been nice beyond just, oh, I throw the football, everything's okay now. <laughs> well, at least they addressed it. Like, yeah. Dad came back and everything's okay Right, now. no, I know. I, I realized that, and I realized that was at the heart of a lot of the issue there, but, you know, he's still done some things that he shouldn't have done, and there probably needs to be a little more time spent with him, you know, but whatever. And the other thing, uh, another thing, though, that I wanted to talk about was uh, going to Ryan's point about the complexity of Frank's character. And this is the the last thing from that podcast that I wanted to talk about that I was listening to. The gun issue. Now, going into a series about the Punisher, a guy who uses a lot of guns, and expecting it to be a series about gun control, I seem, I think, is a little naive. Because <laughs> I, I don't think we're going to have Frank go and, and say, like, you know what? I've been wrong all these years. let's not use guns everybody so uh, i thought it was actually very interesting how pro-gun the show was and i'll say that because karen also took the side of you know people should be allowed to carry because you know you can be scared you know scary in the city you know uh, especially being a woman all that kind of stuff and i feel like with the creators having karen take that issue they were kind of showing the you know the mindset of the series which was more of a you know, which was more towards the idea of this is okay when it's in the right hands kind of thing. Well, I think that was the whole point of episode 10, though, was discussing the gun issue and who should have guns and who shouldn't have guns and understanding that these are not just, you know, run around, yee shoot people, that there's actual consequences to having and owning and using a gun. No, and I agree. I think that this show did a very good job of showing both sides of the issue and not really going down on a on a particular, you know, course there, but mm-hmm. certainly with Karen espousing, you know, people being allowed to carry, it seemed like their sympathies were at least some people, you know, some guns should be allowed, which I thought was a, an interesting point to take and they went more with the domestic terrorism side as something to really sink their teeth into as far as you know this is something that we want to you know show happens and really take a stand against you know how this sort of thing can happen and and you know what we need to do to take care of soldiers who come back and whatnot so i I really liked 
that aspect of it myself. But yeah, I mean, what do you guys think? Yeah, I actually disagree that they showed both sides terribly well. I mean, I thought, was he a congressman or a senator or whoever yeah, he was? Senator. I mean, <laughs> whatever he was trying to do was crazy. Right. Um, and, and I believe, I mean, it was intentional. I don't think I've ever heard of anybody who actually ha- carries that stance in political office. But at the same time, um, it's the Punisher. I wasn't expecting any sort of. <laughs> like ideological treatise on like <laughs> or like i mean this is <laughs> yeah, the fact no we got any nuance at all is a surprise <laughs> yeah i mean it's one of those things where i just the issue itself is so politicized and so divisive and so nuanced and complex that i don't know if they had tried to delve into it any more deeply than they did i might have gotten annoyed but i don't think both sides I don't even think there is a both sides, but I don't think the anti-gun side, I will say in air quotes, um, was terribly um, well represented. But again, it's a punisher. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know anybody who went into that expecting that it was probably going to be Yeah, I kind of agree. It's, I think if you really want to read into it, just, and, and you said it yourself, Nathan, it's in the hands of people who know how to use them, whether that person is Karen or Frank. I, I don't think... I, did Micro ever hold a gun? I think he held a, a pistol. A right, but he wasn't yeah. loaded, and then Frank chastised him for doing that because yeah, he didn't even know how to clean it. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a matter of they're basically, and I think Frank would be the first one to tell you this that it's it's a a gun is is, is a weapon that it's a tool that's designed to make killing easier. It's why he uses it instead of going out with a bow and arrow instead <laughs> of being. You know, <laughs> So, and this is a story that follows people in situations where it makes sense. Karen has already, she's already killed with a gun at at least once before in uh, Daredevil season one. And she's, she's a reporter. She's gets death threats. It makes perfect sense. She's killed a guy. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, what's his face? That was Wilson Fisk's uh, right hand man um, in season one. I keep waiting for that to come back as a plot point. Yeah, no, I know. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, but then, well, that's Karen. They do that with Karen's past through and through. They keep alluding to this past she had, and then they never really follow up on that, which is fine if they decide to go the comic book route. We don't need to go into all that. So, yeah, the, the characters, as they portray them, it makes perfect sense for them to have guns and to use guns and to understand the implications of guns. I would say the only danger here with this show is, and it, they kind of did it to with Daredevil and others is the fact that Frank can get shot 12 times <laughs> and he's fine two episodes <laughs> later. You know? it, it, just, it doesn't really, unless he's shooting someone else, you know, there's no real consequences to guns. I don't know. There, were, there was one whole episode, wasn't it, that was just him on the cod. I mean, he gets shot up pretty well. Yeah, and then... The, the but, 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 like, much like, yeah, but much like uh, Matt Murdock, one of Frank Castle's biggest superpowers is the fact that he can take a beating. Yeah. <laughs> I just get riddled with bullets, I'll walk it off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was not expecting a gun control, you know, <laughs> statement from the Punisher series. <laughs> and I felt like they at least did what they could to have a series, you know, with a guy who uses guns while also expressing that there ought to be some, what's the right word? The right people need to be holding them. You know, I mean, it, it needs to be people who know what they are doing with them. So, you know, they tried to do what they could. 
they did play the senator up as a caricature of right. The extreme, yes, correct. Yeah. And you know, one of the things is at first when they were on the talk show, I was like, why isn't this Trish talk? But then once the radio jockey was taking the, you know, everybody, because he was the caricature the other way. We all should have guns. Let's shoot everybody, you know, kind of thing. I was like, well, that's why it's not Trish talk, because they weren't going to have Trish taking that point of view. So, you know, it's just, I was listening to that DJ and I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't think anyone really on a talk show would talk like that, especially in New York, but maybe. But yeah, then we have, like I was talking about a little bit, we have sort of our A and B plots of... The guy whose name now escapes me with the milky eye. Agent Orange. Agent Orange, yes. And then we have the kid, the veteran, that comes back and ends up, you know, because he just doesn't know what to do with himself and has so much Wilson. PTSD that he ends up being a, a domestic terrorist. So I thought that they did a good job of interleaving the A and B plots and better than, you know, we... Like, Daredevil Season 2 felt like two different shows, right? It was like, yeah. there was the Electra yeah. plot, and there was the Frank plot, and they never met, but we just sort of, oh, here's a Frank episode. Here's an Electra episode. And it didn't really, like, feel like it came you together. Know, you can pretty much split season Daredevil Season 2 in half as the Daredevil plot, or the, the Punisher plot, and then the Electra plot. Right, but there's a little bit of, even though the Punisher is the beginning and Electra is the end, there's a little bit in the middle where they kind of alternate a little bit. But yeah, it was kind of two different series. And then like Luke Cage did like, uh, you know, here's the plot in the beginning and here's the plot afterwards. And I don't feel like they've done a good job of like juggling the, the two different plots before. I feel like Punisher did a really good job with that. Yeah, Daredevil season one did it well and Punisher has done it well. That's about it. And I thought that that was a really good story, how they pulled in, you know, the idea of Frank being a veteran, having his friend who's running the, the program to help veterans, you know, kind of deal with, you know, what they experienced back there. And then there's the, you know, and then having Wilson being, you know, showing like, you know, what could happen, you know, when, when people aren't, you know, when, they, when they're not given the, the tools they need to readjust to society and whatnot. Well, that's, that's where this show was kind of a return to form for the Netflix shows. Discounting Iron Fist and, to a lesser degree, Defenders, Daredevil, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, they all kind of dealt with these real-world issues and, and framed them in a way that made sense to the character so that you could explore you know, abuse or racism or, in this case, PTSD. And so I, I, I would kind of welcome that. It, it adds a, a level of intensity to the shows, which makes them kind of painful to watch sometimes, but it also just, I, I think it makes them more important. Yeah, and Wilson's story was really, really important because a good chunk of Punisher is about dealing with the fact that we don't help our veterans and what war does to people and the cost of living in combat. And Wilson's also, here is the Punisher without any restraint. Here's a guy who's just picking targets and taking them out blindly, pretty much. He's, he's found people he doesn't like and he's going to kill them, whereas at least Frank is directed you know, it's, it's it's really is. Punisher is a gun. Wilson's a bomb. Isn't it Lewis? Is it Lewis? I think it's Lewis. Okay. Lewis. <laughs> I'll edit in Lewis everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> well, I, was looking in, I was looking on Wikipedia, so they may have the, the actor name might be Wilson. Oh, okay. Sure. It's Lewis Walcott. Oh, Walcott. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. All right. But, you know. Right. Well, <laughs> see, we knew you meant. <laughs> this is the problem. This is the problem recording a month after I finished watching the show. <laughs> not that it's not that it's uh, uh, anyone else's fault, but I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. So, Angie, what do you think of that? 
I think that that subplot kind of suffered from what I think may be the primary flaw of this series, which is that the, this incredible cast is acting the hell out of this incredibly formulaic political thriller. <laughs> and mm. hit, Lewis's story was so slow because I figured out the point the first time he showed up. Like, he was so separated from the rest of the cast, and every time we cut to him, it was like, yeah, I get it. He's like what what Frank could have been if he didn't have any restraint. I got it. I got it. Like, and it was well acted, but at the same time, I was just like, I, I don't need eight episodes of him going down this hole, basically. Yeah, I, I can see that. I think there are some people who may have needed to see the extent of the damage it does, but it could have been titled a little bit. Uh, and it's Daniel Weber was the actor. Lewis Wilson is the character's name. Okay. So we were both right. It's Lewis and Wilson. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just remember thinking, yeah, because Lewis is such an old-fashioned name to me. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I thought it was cool, but it's, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, more to Ryan's point, for me, it felt like it was a level of reality thrown at it. And while I intellectually understood the things that they were showing... It was interesting and 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 created a you know a sort of a more visceral feeling to watch somebody going through it. So I thought for that aspect of it that it worked really well. Also, just as a, as a pacing issue, I th- I kind of I know a lot of people complained about it, but I think it helped. Uh, a lot of the Netflix shows have had a problem for me at least where I felt like they're like they're an episode or two too long. But having this subplot just kind of build and build and build. And then explode, you know, towards the back end, and then get taken care of, and then back onto the main plot. It reinvigorated the series towards the end for me. Right. It was also the means, the reason why Frank gets outed, also, which kind of picked yeah. up the pace for the a plot because now everybody knows Frank's out there, and so you know things start happening. You know, the the dominoes start falling really quickly at that point. So uh, I, I get why they were doing that as well. But then, yeah, let's talk about Agent Orange. Um, I'm, I'm saving Madani and, and Billy Russo for a minute here. He was kind of a weak villain, I felt, but that's the kind of villain he was. He was the hide-in-the-shadows type that wanted everyone else to do uh, you know, his dirty work for him. Yeah. I, I thought that that was a fitting villain for what they were going for. I didn't necessarily need to see Frank gouging his eyes out. (laughs) (laughs) I don't really like Gory, and that was one of two scenes that I didn't really need to... (laughs) That that was the thing. That's why I was surprised, because I thought Punisher was going to have a lot more scenes like that that I didn't really want to watch. It was very restrained in that. Yes. um, I think that they realized that even though they say that the Netflix shows are are, quote-unquote, I think they're more of a PG-13 in a lot of ways. And yeah, it... It did not strike me as being particularly a gory show overall. But yeah, I mean, with all that he took from Frank, you know, you kind of do get why Frank was so brutal to him oh, at yeah. the end there. He, he had it coming. Right. Well, and there's some guilt involved there too, right? If he had finished the job the first time he attacked him, you know, he's going to be around. Yeah, I knew the second... Thanks, Billy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, because I didn't know Jigsaw's real name was Billy Russo. I found that out from just looking at Wikipedia after I watched the series. But somehow I knew, though, that Billy, as the second Billy saved that guy and was, you know, like, Frank, like, calmed down and everything, and then they showed uh-huh. that Billy liked, you know, money and, and, and looking nice and everything, I was like, he's in on it. You know, like, I knew it before they ever showed it. I was just like, oh, my God, he's in on it. You know? <laughs> and... 
But yeah, I mean, Agent Orange, and I liked the, when they had Frank strapped in, I liked the whole thing where Frank basically, you know, he has the, the dream of, of, you know, you can be with your family if you just surrender to death. And then that's kind of the choice that he has there. Is he gonna, is he gonna come home, quote unquote, by dying, or is he going to, to keep going? And uh, I thought that made that really powerful, too. I saw it more as a choice between he had to choose between his vengeance or, or peace. And vengeance was more important to him. Well, peace would have been death, though. <laughs> I yeah, mean, it's still yeah, the same so, thing. It would, have been, it would have been with his family. Though, but my point is, he could have been with his family, dead, in peace, but they would have been alive. And, he and that's really part of the core of Frank. He can't give this up. He can't give up his war. He may want to, he may think he wants to, but in the end, he will always choose his war. Yeah, now, I, I, and it was interesting because I wasn't sure how much of that was a dream because that makes it even more powerful if that really was when he came back and when his family was murdered, he was really like, I'm coming home permanently now, you know, and I wasn't sure if that was part of the dream or if that was like really what had happened because that makes it even worse that after he's been overseas all this time, he's finally like, I'm coming back. You know, now I'm not deploying ever again. You know, I'm getting out of the military. And then to have them murdered, like, the next day. You know, that's... Uh. <laughs> yeah, that was a, the scene that gutted me, was uh, when we do the, the flashback, either the last or the next uh, last episode, where we have Frank with his family in the park with Billy. Oh, God, yeah. yeah I mean, that makes it even worse, because Billy wanted to have that last day with Frank before he knew what was going to happen. You know, because mm-hmm. he's selfish like that. <laughs> he's yeah, like, I'll... and he could have chosen that life. He could have chosen, you know, maybe I do have friends. Maybe I do have a family. But he so cold-bloodedly went there to have that happy time with them, knowing that it was all going to end, and thinking he was going to murder Frank as well. You know, get all four of them. What? Mm-hmm. I see. That's weird. That I just got that that flashback was just some time in the park. I didn't get from it that that was the day of the shooting. I just kind of assumed that, I mean, they, Billy had already established that Frank liked, you know, his family liked going to that park and like going to that uh, Ferris, uh, not Ferris, to that carousel. So I just kind of assumed that was just any given day on leave or something like that. Oh no, I but thought now, that made it more powerful to think that that was that last day. That's weird because I looked at that and I thought they, they should have done more flashbacks like that. I would have loved to have seen Billy interact with the family more because that, I think, added a depth to him, to his wickedness. But now, if I look at it in that light, like he knew what was coming, then it kind of, I don't know, it takes something away. It cheapens it for me in a oh, strange way. <laughs> for me, that makes, it, that makes him more of a cold-blooded, you know, nasty person, which, you know, which is what I think See, he is. Like, he's all facade. He is all facade, and that's why what Frank does to him is the perfect revenge, because he takes away even the facade. Angie, what do you what do you think about this? Are we talking about Billy now? We're talking about Billy now. Okay. So sorry, we, we, we I, I I do the structured thing just to keep people going, but if we if the conversation moves on, let's just go on. Yeah, I struggled with Billy. I love the actor. I think he's wonderful, and I. Uh, the problem that I have is like they couldn't make up their minds about whether he was a complete sociopath or like it's like they kept showing these things that were designed to show you that he's this unrepentant, unremorseful snake. And then they will throw in something that's like, but no, really, he's got this depth to him, but it doesn't it doesn't match. Like, it's not like I don't know where they were trying to go with it at all. Like Having everything be a facade is very thematically appealing, but I don't think that that quite hit if that's what they were going for like they did 
too much to maybe humanize him in the beginning and then they gave up all pretense of humanizing him in the latter half which was really problematic for me um it made his character seem a lot more inconsistent and kind of more like it was supposed to be a gotcha instead of a like a like an organic character but specifically the the scene we were just talking about did you interpret that as the last day that no absolutely I didn't. I just thought it was some in the past. But I mean it, it kind of leads into that where I was like, Who who is this guy? Like who is who is he supposed to be? Because he was so inconsistently shown, I thought. And now I'm really curious, what scenes do you think, because I thought that they were very consistent, that this guy was just all facade, any nice things or good things that he did were all part of a calculated way of, of making him appear to be a nice guy when in fact he was a horrible sociopath. I didn't get any depth out of him, so I'm curious what examples either of you, Ryan or Angie, can give me that, that he had depth to him. The little things. It's not that... Basically, the thing about Billy was he... I think he... he his relationships were real with Curtis, with... And I'm blanking on her name again. Uh, Madani. Oh, I don't think the relationship with Madani was real at all. That was Absolutely. all just... He liked she was pretty. You know, she was good looking. That, oh, yeah. That's exactly what he says to Agent Order. Well, had you seen her? It wasn't anything about yeah, how he liked her or, or her personality or anything. No. It was, have you seen her? That was well, all sex. That. No, no, yes. it was not. I think he, no, cause she challenged him. I think he mm. could see a future with her mm. and he could see it, it like, it, but if you want just little, in, little details, the way that he didn't hire Lewis because Curtis said that's so. That's the big one. That's the, the big for me. Yeah. The way that he let Curtis put on his leg when he had his gun on him, he showed him com- he showed him decently. The way he didn't kill Curtis because he considers himself honorable. He's not, but he considers himself that way. The way thing about Billy is Billy will be nice to you until it serves his pur- purposes not to be. So those are real to him. It's just he values himself. Yeah, yeah. He is a true classic sociopath. People are tools to him. They're not people. And he will use them. I think that there's a part of him that wishes he could have that. And that's why that scene in the park really hit me is it seems like he really would like to have that life. He would like to have that friendship. He'd like to have that connection. But he can't because he doesn't know how because he's a sociopath. I think the interaction with Frank and Curtis or or the thing, the little things he does with them are specifically because, yeah, I think he's a guy that likes to whisper to himself, you're you're an honorable man. You're a good man. You know, you you. I, I think that that's all just to make himself feel good that he gives these little things away that he doesn't think will hurt him in the long run. Lewis was all about, if Lewis really was unstable, then he didn't want him in his outfit. I don't think that that had anything to do with being nice or doing the right thing. That was just knowing that that will blow up in his own face if he if he hires a guy that's unstable. Then, then why is he... Yeah, he keeps hiring unstable people and then killing them himself. Yeah. Like it's it it really seemed like what they were going for in that scene is that yeah, he's ruthless and yeah, he might be morally questionable, but he actually cares about these guys. But then he goes on to murder a bunch of them himself. So and, Well, I think he, it's also with that with Lewis, he he couldn't control Lewis. He could see that Lewis was a a wild cannon, whereas these other people working for him. Yeah, they're crazy, but they're crazy in ways that he knows that they're how they're going to respond, that he can use them to do his black ops stuff. That's all true, but he also would cut Curtis' checks. He was paying for Curtis's support group. Why would he do that? What does he gain from that? Reputation in the community. Mm-hmm. It's reputa- It's a benefit to I'm- his uh, Anvil Corporation. It's a tax write-off. Except uh, he said he was doing – I'm pretty sure they said he was doing it anonymously. 
in that case, it's just maybe to keep his connection with Curtis because he gets information out of him. Yeah, they do say specifically he was an angel donor. I mean, I, that could have been untrue, but that that was the... Oh, okay, like, yeah. I, I, I didn't I catch that, but yeah. Okay. Donor, yeah. Mm. yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't really get much out of him that was... I, I felt like everything that he did that was a quote-unquote good action was something that furthered his own agenda or made him feel good about himself. I will say you probably see the real Billy. The only time you see the real Billy is when he's with what we're assuming is his mother. Right. In, yes. in the nursing home. And yeah, yeah. and yeah, that and everything that he is, he puts onto her. I don't think that there's any way to watch that scene <laughs> with him and the mom, which I don't think she was in a nursing home. I think he had some private room somewhere where he had her just shackled because I don't think any nursing well, home drugging. would do that. Yeah, would let him just... It depends on how much he's paying. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I thought he was just paying some woman to be the nurse and to watch, uh, look out for her in some private room somewhere because he had her locked up <laughs> just because she abandoned him as a child. You know, put him up for you know in a in a foster home, and so he he wanted revenge on her. I mean, that's I I don't think I don't see how you can see that and think he's anything but a sociopath. That's what I mean. I felt like that was kind of the turning point, but it seemed almost like a gotcha because what we had seen prior to that seemed yes, you can hand wave it and say it was all for show and this that and the other. And I think that's kind of what they wanted you to think. I just thought they were a little too real with it. Maybe like it. It seems like it goes too far to, into yeah. showing him being actually sympathetic when he's not. And I mean, that scene was incredibly disturbing. And frankly, reading that last scene in the park as the day before they all got killed is even more disturbing and sinister to me. And I don't know if I like that read better, but I think they did too much in the beginning to humanize him and only to pull the rug out from you later. I, I just seemed cheap cheap storytelling i don't know i i guess for me it might be my own knee-jerk reaction to anyone that good looking and charismatic but i think that they're a horrible villain <laughs> well, I knew, I there's knew something under the surface there <laughs> that's that's not to say that i knew he was in on it i didn't know he was a sociopath but that's the thing i feel like if anyone had taken a second to think if i was in a in a thriller what would be the most likely thing that was going on? If anybody had taken two seconds to think about that, there would be no drama. Like it all would have just unraveled. So. Well, and three, it's also the classic sociopath is charming, friendly. People like them, and until they don't need something from you anymore, or that what they need from you is to kill you, harm you, whatever. Well, how about the fact that he murdered what is his name, Sam? And Damn, then yeah. sleeps with Madani that night, you know, he's like right oh, there. Yeah. I'm like, that was so, I mean, that was before the mother scene, I think. And that's sociopath right there, dude. No remorse at all. I killed your partner mm -hmm. here. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. And the fact that she is, you know, again, that she, that her, all the damage and everything that she's in and he bathes her and all this was because of him. He caused all of her damage and yeah. then he's comforter. Because, well, he kind of had to to keep his cover at, at that point. Well, that and he still needed her. Yeah, yeah I guess he was well, getting information out of her. He was playing her the whole time that, yeah, they were together also. Of course, they had that bug. They they thought they had that bug in her office. So, yeah. yeah. But yeah, but I don't know. I, I, we can go back and forth. I don't disagree that he is a manipulative uh, yeah, SOB to keep it you know, PG. <laughs> right. But, I mean, I don't know, there would be little things, like when he told Madani the story of the scar that he got in the orphanage. And it's just, when you look at that, that's after they've had sex. That's, 
it, he doesn't gain anything. He shows this vulnerability to people, and he does it to, to draw them in. It's manipulative, but it also I think he does it because there is a little bit more to him than just – I think there's a part of him that wants that better life, that wants Frank's life, but – because of his mother or whatever he's got going on in his head, he thinks he can't have it. Maybe he's punishing himself. Hmm. That could be part of it, too. This is why I like to have this show, because I never would have seen that in a million years. <laughs> I think they abandoned that by the end. Like I would agree. In the beginning, that was the direction I thought they were taking. And by the end, it was just like, nope, he's he's just evil. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, well, why did, you, why did you jerk our chain around for so long? Well, like, <laughs> I, I will say this. I love the fact that Frank's like, endgame was to the pain. Straight from the Princess Bride. I almost wanted him to say, your ears you keep, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> so that every shriek of every babe, every call of, dear God, what is that thing, will resound in your perfect ears. <laughs> you know, it would have been awesome if they'd had Princess Bride being one of the books he was reading. Yes. <laughs> I'm not sure if that line is in the book version, but oh my God, that would be perfect. <laughs> Because, yeah, that's exactly what I thought of when he was like, nah, killing's too good for you, and I'll just mess up your face. I was like, he's actually doing, you know, because, you know, Wesley just threatens to the pain. He never actually does it to Humperdinck. That's, (laughs) like, that's exactly what to the pain is. So, yeah, that was the perfect, for a guy who was all about... You know the 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 show. You know being able to show himself as the the wealthy man, the pretty man. You know all these things that to take it all away from him. He has nothing, not even his face. It was the perfect revenge, the perfect punishment. Yeah, the perfect punishment. Yeah, even better, even better. Yeah. So I mean, do you guys agree with that? I, yes and no. I mean, I, it felt out of character to spare him. I mean, yes, he arguably gave him uh, a fate worse than death, but at the same time, it's just. Frank doesn't see it that way. Frank, he he ends it. He f- makes it final. He kills it. So but this was personal in a way that all the other people he killed were not. This was a guy that pretended to be his friend. I mean, there might have been legitimate moments of being that. I mean, I agree. I, I believe Billy. Where if 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 Frank, if he hadn't thought Frank was the one that sold them out, that you know nothing would have ever happened to Frank. I think Billy really did enjoy being around Frank and liked Frank, but. You know, the fact that Billy was willing to go through with this, was willing to, you know, be part of the conspiracy that killed Frank's family, I think that made it different from all the other people that Frank went against, where he wanted him to suffer more, that he wanted to suffer rather than to die. And Frank had just had, like, ten episodes of everybody yelling at him, Don't be a murderer, Frank! <laughs> Don't be a murderer! And every, and this happens in the comics all the time, too. Eventually he decides, okay, I'll listen to everybody and won't kill this one guy. And then they turn out to be Jigsaw, or the one other recurring <laughs> villain that he should have killed. Well, yeah, because I think it makes sense for at the end, too, when it's clear that he's trying to get help, that he's going to the meetings with Curtis, and that, you know, that, that he's trying to leave that life behind. Now, we know it's renewed for a season two, so I'm pretty sure then that, you know, something's going to draw him back in. But at least for now, he's trying to give that up. So I think that that kind of made sense with that, too. You know, this last guy, you know, I'm not going to kill Billy. I will do what everybody's telling me to do, and I will try to change. But yeah, I'm pretty sure Billy's probably going to end up being the villain of season two. And <laughs> it's going to be like, oh, that was a, that was a really bad Probably, move. I yeah. should have killed him when I had the chance. <laughs> I would prefer if they waited and didn't bring him back till season three, right. but you know. Well, he'll probably at least be in season two, even if he's not the big bad. Oh, like yeah. he'll wake up in the hospital and get out or something. 
Oh yeah. It, but it's funny because if he does come back, it completely negates Punisher's entire argument to Daredevil on the rooftop. Yeah. Yeah. You know, about and about making it final about them coming back. You know. So it's that, that that's where Daredevil, that's where Punisher has always been the most successful as a as a foil or a mirror to the other heroes. And he's that it just seemed like a step back, a step towards being Daredevil or someone else. Yeah, but I think I think it's nice to have him try that and then to have a situation prove that he was right all along and have him go right back. <laughs> so the lesson is is that being good fails. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well it's all about point of view, right? I mean depending on circumstances, two different people can come to two different conclusions about what works and what doesn't. Because their own life experience points a different way than than another guy's, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think that's real. I mean, it makes him more interesting to me than just being one note. I shoot people, you know. Jaywalker dead, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I I don't. I, that's the uninteresting Punisher. That's the Punisher I don't like. Much like Wolverine, that's so overexposed and is often written as just one note. I have claws. I stab people. In the hands of a good writer, Wolverine is is a fantastic character. It's very interesting. Punisher is the same way, but you know, I, I like to see them as more dynamic characters than just the I, me tough, me shoot, or me stab. You know, <laughs> kind of guy. But we talked around her a little bit. I do want to get to Madani because Madani was such an awesome character. Yes, I really loved. Well, and I loved her, her partner too. Of the show, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, she was. You know, she was such a powerful in control tough female character i love the fact that she was persian i loved you know that showing that the sort of the 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 first generation born in america immigrants you know that cares about the country kind of thing that they did with her and uh, i love the relationship with the partner as sort of like the guy who you know was kind of on the outs you know and wanted to believe in what she was doing but had been burned himself before and was kind of hesitant at first and was was a little worried about protecting himself. And then, you know, the real tragedy there being, of course, that he dies after having trusted yeah. her, and which is part of why she's so broken by it. But Angie, what did you think of Madani? I struggled a little bit with Madani because her character is such a tired trope. I, honestly, I'm sick to death of that that depiction of tough female lead. But she did so well with it. And I felt like I, I really, I feel like this whole cast was just incredibly well, well selected and, and her acting was impeccable. So I ended up rooting for her. Um, I just wish, I don't know. They'd done something. Well, see, Cause I thought the role her. they gave her was a typically male role. And so I didn't feel like there had been many, you know, the, the, the loose cannon, you know, agent that gets brought in that it's like, you know, don't be a loose cannon, you know, kind of thing you know you're you're doing too much and so but you you feel like that that's but kind of a tired trope for female characters yeah the like tough as nails ball buster type who's I, actually I, damaged yeah 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 who's like deeply deeply feels and she just has this like walls up whatever like it's <laughs> i mean like i said i i ended up rooting for her and you know i i felt for her but I felt this way about a lot of these characters, actually. Like, could they be just a little bit less cookie-cutter tropes? You know, but the cast did well enough with it that I, you know, I, I got over it. I don't know. I mean, I thought that her main motivating force was a drive for justice. She saw that something corrupt was going... She knew something didn't smell right with what had happened to the guy, her informant, you know, who who got killed. And she was just going to keep pursuing that until she, she got answers. And, you know, I really appreciated that. I mean, she didn't have an agenda other than getting to 
the truth and getting to justice. And so, I don't know. I I, I didn't really feel that there was anything wrong with that. I mean, there's, it, it's a trope for a reason. Right, right? Oh, it works. I guess. <laughs> I don't know, Ryan, what do you think of Madonna? Uh, I, yeah, sure, There, there is a little bit of tropishness to her, I guess. I mean, you've got the... She shows up in a muscle car, and the first thing you see is her changing out of her New Balance shoes into her work shoes. But I, I feel like they... The thing about tropes is, tropes are tropes because they work. And the character played on the, the usual, uh, the hard, you know, hard-ass agent woman. and But she did it well and she she did it in such a way that when when and <laughs> to bring it back to billy in her relationship with billy and her relationship also with sam to a lesser degree you saw that there was more depth to her in her re- relationship with rafi her mentor in her with her mother uh, and even uh, to her father there was uh, a lot more to her than just the law and order i'm going to solve the case no matter what it costs um, agent. I do like that we saw the mother, and we got the interaction with the mother and with Rafi, because you're right, I mean, that's that's a level of, you know, just having a mentor around, you know, kind of thing uh, that isn't directly involved with what she's doing, and having the mother, you know, to, to give her advice. Yeah, and can we all take a moment to say how awesome her mother, the actress playing her mother is? Yeah. I love her in everything she does. She's yeah. a great, the expanse is wonderful. You should watch <laughs> yes. It. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'd watch her like read the newspaper. You know? <laughs> it's that voice. But uh, yeah, I love having that supporting cast around her um, that I think gave her yeah a little more depth and allowed her to be more than just tough as nails agent, loose cannon agent. I love saying that because you know that's always the thing. You know, if you get called into the boss, you're loose cannon. <laughs> <laughs> give me your gun yeah, and your badge. Your badge. <laughs> <laughs> we want the cop that plays by the actual rules. <laughs> right. I will say, I just we never found out what Sam did to be on the list, and I really wanted to know. No, no I know. It would have been nice to get a little more with Sam, but I think, again, with Economy, with 13 episodes, they just figured with him about to die that there was no reason to give us a huge backstory for him. Yeah. And I'm also glad they didn't kind of have him just mooning after uh, Madani you know, in love with her. From that, that would That's another way that they go a lot of times. You know, she's, she's attracted to the handsome Billy, and he's a little bit more, you know, plain. And so he's got to be mooning over her. And they didn't do that. Uh, he, he was concerned about her, and he liked her. But I never really got the sense that he had any sort of um, romantic inclination. No, he treated her. her as one of the one of the guys, and I mean, he ribbed her about Billy, but that was just because Billy is such a pretty boy, and so he was kind of joking about that. <laughs> and that's the kind so of thing much. partners do, <laughs> right? So yeah, I thought their relationship also. I think the relationships in this show are one of the standout things. The interactions of characters were just so well done across the board. I mean, there was. There was a lot of chemistry with a lot of different combinations of people going on, and, and I really appreciated that. Because, again, I mean, this wasn't as action anywhere near as action-packed as I thought it was, and I was riveted. I didn't feel bored like I did with some of the other Netflix. Like, even Luke Cage, which I absolutely love, towards the middle there was kind of dragging for me. You know, and, and that's happened. I mean, Iron Fist dragged for quite a bit, and, you know, I mean, it. This one I felt like I, I just kept wa- you know, I kept wanting to watch, you know, and that I didn't feel like it was getting tired at all. I, I think, again, like to my other point, it's because they blew up that subplot, literally, in, in the middle of it. Well, yeah, because I expected that he would stay with the, you know, that, that Lewis would be an antagonist through more of it, and then it was kind of abrupt also. So, yeah, like you say, 
it was it blew up you know it got big really quickly and then they took care of it and so yeah it kind of put some uh, momentum into the back half yeah absolutely so there hasn't been a defenders 2 announced could be that they're waiting to put it after punisher season 2 and so that's my question that I want to leave everybody with. If they did another Defenders, would you want Frank to be part of it? So, Gary, why don't we start with you? I would actually like it if he was, if they treated him the same way they did the final episode of Daredevil Season 2. You know, we go through like most of the episodes of the, event of the Defenders, and then, oh my god, we're really tight spot. What the hell are we going to do? How are we going to do this? And Frank shows up, blows a bunch of people away, and, like... What I was after these guys, and then leaves <laughs> a bazooka on each shoulder. <laughs> yeah, because I mean that's it's why Garth Ennis when he did his he did two different runs with the Punisher. In the first he did him you know as as a regular part of the Marvel universe, and then he was able to split him off where he was was but he wasn't in the MCU. He didn't run into any other main characters, and his reason is like it's really hard to do the Punisher really well when he's running up to it running into a guy with adamantium bones <laughs> you know so it, 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 it on his own he works really well when you start throwing him up against with people like jessica jones or luke cage it kind of makes it a little harder for why hasn't someone why haven't one of you guys put frank in jail yet because they have grudging respect for him right you know but what does frank being bring to the table that they don't so, I mean, it can work, but I kind of like him being a little bit off to his side, but just showing up every now and then to remind people that, oh, yeah, he is part of this. All right, Ryan, what do you think? It depends on what they do with the Defenders. It, like, if it's the hand again, no, I don't want, I don't want Frank anywhere near that. <laughs> if they can do it in such a way that it makes sense to have him involved, then, yeah, I'm all for it. But I got to admit... I don't know how he, he... I don't think he would play well with others. You know? <laughs> yeah, Jessica doesn't play well with others either, and they had her in it. Yeah, yeah but so how many episodes consisted of her going, I'm out of here. Okay, I'm not out of here. I'm out of here. No, I'm not out of here. Uh, and the reality is, I don't know, if Frank was in The Defenders, it would be like two episodes long. He would find the villain and shoot them, and then it would be over. <laughs> but what if they're bulletproof? Yeah. That's... <laughs> That's the main, you know, uh, problem of the series is that Frank's going to find a way to shoot somebody that he can't shoot. (laughs) (laughs) So, Angie, what do you think about uh, Frank being in a a, a possible sequel of Defenders? I think it would be really interesting, but I'm not sure that I would like to see the outcome of him mixing it up with those guys. Like, Frank has the power to unsettle them, I think, because he is who he is. But... I don't know. Like Jessica Snark is such a <laughs> like warm, comforting blanket. I don't know if I could handle her getting just completely disturbed and thrown by Frank. <laughs> I don't know. I could actually of of all the members of the Defenders, I can see him working with Jessica Jones the best because they both have a f- attitude. She's not a kill it attitude though. That's the that's the difference. I would actually love Frank to come up against Danny. <laughs> I'd have Danny be like. <laughs> I am the immortal Iron Fist, and have Frank just like punch him in the face or something, <laughs> hit him with the butt of his gun from behind or something to you know explain why Danny didn't. Danny spends the next fifty-five minutes of the episode dodging bullets. Right. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, for me, I'm not sure I wanted Defender season two in the first place. I like the idea of just doing random pairings every now and then. Like how, you know, Luke showed up in Jessica's first season, 
and how Frank showed up in Daredevil season two, you know, and we already know that Danny's going to show up in Luke Cage season two for a few episodes. So I, I would just kind of like if they do that kind of thing moving forward. I'm not sure I need the big team up. And as others have said, I'm not sure that I need Frank to be in the Defenders, at least for any length of time, if they do do a second one. Because I think it would be the hardest to explain why Frank is with the rest of them. The rest of them, you can come up with a plausible scenario for why they all feel like they need to be together. Frank, it feels like, would be bucking at that the whole time, and it would be difficult to get him to play you know, with the others, but... I don't know, we'll see how they, I mean, Netflix has been doing a really great job with these overall, and I at least have some feeling that they, that they're going to readjust with a new showrunner on Iron Fist, that as the most troubled of the shows before now, I feel like that they'll probably do a much better job with the second season, so we'll see, so hopefully they've got a direction for all these shows uh, moving forward, so we'll just have to see. So uh, we've been talking for a while about Punisher, does anyone have anything that we didn't talk about? Um, that you really wanted to get to. So, Ryan, why don't we start with you? Do you have anything? The only other thing I kind of wanted to point out was that, unlike every other Netflix show, this one had pretty much no ties to the greater MCU as a whole. I think they had the news network, but that was about it. There was no mention of the incident, no mention, no jokes about... I mean, Frank was carrying a hammer around for an entire episode, and no one dropped a Thor joke. There was absolutely no reference to the Marvel uh, movie universe, and except for Karen, there was no reference to the other Netflix shows. This show could have been completely independent, and I it makes me think that it's all but official that these are divergent uh, universes. Yeah, other than the fact that the Jessica Jones preview shows people talking about Captain America around her, so... I'm like, because uh, I was thinking the same thing as you, Ryan, until I saw that preview with mm. Jessica Jones, and now I'm like, oh, maybe not. So, <laughs> we'll see. Well, and she got attacked by people who, I mean, in the first season of Jessica Jones, she got attacked by that lady. Yeah, Jessica oh, Jones had tie-ins. Their family. Right. Yeah. No, yeah, the other shows have had the tie-ins, and Jessica Jones, uh, they've already, I mean, I think her, depending on what route they go, her origin story is tied in you know, with Captain America, the the super soldier program. So yeah, fine, they're going that route for her for, because she has superpowers. But yeah, I mean, there was nothing. It, it, Stan Lee was about the only thing in <laughs> the Punisher right. that connected it to the the greater MCU. Yeah, we'll see, because yes, I keep waiting for that too, because I think that they're, that's the like in a year, we're going to have the announcement that officially they're not like, Netflix is going to be its own universe, the movies are going to be their own universe. Hulu's going to be its own universe. Everything's going to be done. Because I think they're having too much trouble with the it's all connected thing. I don't think we're going to get necessarily an announcement. I think they're just going to let it peter out. That They're they're not going to try and connect everything. They're just, for a little while, they're going to try and not contradict each other. And then just go go with that. Could be. All right, Angie, uh, was there anything that we didn't talk about with Punisher that you really wanted to talk about? Mm, shout out to Curtis. I really loved that guy. Oh, yeah. I like he just he was great in everything he was in and frankly that scene at the end where Frank is trying to assassinate Billy and the coffee was lovely well it wasn't lovely it was really well acted and and I thought it was oh great. I love that scene because he's holding he's standing over here and he's holding the <laughs> coffee out and then it's like what yeah oh <laughs> yeah and and it's just too bad that Billy didn't just go for the coffee because yeah would have been over so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, what about you? Uh, anything uh, more that you want to talk about with Punisher? 
Uh, I really want to give a shout out to two characters we didn't mention. Uh, C. Thomas Howells, Carson. <laughs> I thought he was great. I expected him to last longer. <laughs> but when Frank went after him, that was a great scene, especially Frank letting him think he had control. Oh, you've got my gun away from me. Oh, no. <laughs> and Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio as the yeah. deputy director of the CIA. She was great. And it was really interesting to see them play the CIA as a gray agency. There are good people. There are bad people. You know, Agent Orange is despicable, but was doing what he thought was right for his country. And then you got people like Mary Les Master going, well, yeah, it's horrible and it had to be done. But man. Yeah, I mean, it. well, I mean, yeah, it was it was very um, it was very gray. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I feel like that the at least the tone of the series and what I was trying to say is that, except for Madani, all these people who are willing to turn a blind eye to it were just as bad as Agent Orange for doing it in the first, you know, doing it in the first place. So I don't know. I felt like it was almost like you know, chastising the CIA for, yeah. for, for allowing this kind of stuff to happen. Mm -hmm. Well, especially with him, where it started out as he was probably doing a good thing, but then turned it into, a, I'm going to get rich selling drugs on the side, as well as protecting my country. I mean, this is it, that is one of the other things about the show, is it painted a gray world in gray shades with, you know, cordite coming off of it. Yeah, I uh, don't think that I have anything more to add. I think that we uh, talked about as much as we can in a two-hour podcast, not 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> plus a 10 minute controversy right. there, there's certainly more that we could get to with punisher i mean it's 13 episodes long and there's a lot of there's a lot in the writing and with the minor characters and whatnot but yeah i mean i'm i'm on board for a season two i mean i guess that'll be the last question then are you guys all in for a season two hell yeah uh, yeah absolutely yeah yeah i would watch a season two even if i didn't ask you and prompt you to watch it well, I am a completionist, so yeah, yeah, I'd be down. <laughs> okay. I, I think, actually, I would just want to change my answer to that. I am locked and loaded. Whoop, 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 Alright, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to a season two of this. You know, I mean, obviously, I think there is, there is, uh, they could certainly step up their writing game. But the cast and the chemistry is so good that I'm looking for. Actually, you know what I'd like to see in a season two, at least for a few episodes? I'd like to see Vince D'Onofrio show up in season two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it would be very interesting to have Frank and the Kingpin encounter each other again after what happened in the prison in Daredevil season well, two. Well, especially if they work it in such a way that Frank can't just shoot him and be done with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely not definitely not an in-person confrontation because yes, that would be very quick, I think. Well, it still it could still be in person. He's just got to have leverage over Frank. Yeah. So, we'll yeah, I we'll see where they go with it because I mean, like I say I'm not really up on Punisher comics, so I don't know if there's a particular storyline or something that they'll adapt, but I I would like I mean, more Vince D'Onofrio across the board, frankly, I would like to see him be yeah. like the Loki of the uh, Netflix MCU and have him show up in all the shows and have him be more of a force, you know, across the, the line. But we'll see what they do with that. So, um, yeah, thank you guys for joining me today. Uh, I think this was a really good discussion. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And let's say our goodbyes and let people know where they can find us. So, Gary, let's start with you. Uh, you can find me on the Twitter as at Gary underscore Mitchell, Mitchell with one L. Yes, Star Trek fans, it's my real name. Uh, you can find me as co-director of the uh, Sci-Fi Classics track at DragonCon. We have a Facebook group, American Sci-Fi Classics. And as co-director of the Hulanta Otherworlds track at Hulanta. 
All right. And Ryan, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Well, you know, until next time, Internet, I won't say goodbye. It's just not in my nature. <laughs> I'm always there. I'm always watching. You can find me at geeksranger.com, or you can find, you know, what passes for my website <laughs> on the rare times I get there, you know. <laughs> Find me on Twitter at GeekStranger, and all that will lead you to my Facebook page, which is, frankly, where I'm most active. That and telling Nathan that he's wrong wherever I can, because he usually You've is. You've been slacking on that job, though. Uh, you, you know, I've been, for the past, like, four months, I've had to get work at 6 a.m., and that makes internet arguments very, very Ugh. hard. You know? <laughs> I don't know. I think you need to find a new job, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, well, you need both. <laughs> I'm surprised no one so said anything about Ryan being the Ant Man. <laughs> He's made that joke himself before, <laughs> and also how he can't like get through his you know the, his knowledge of ants to watch that movie that it bothers him so much. How incorrect it is! Well, I have to turn off my brain a lot more on Ant Man. Having said that, that the trailer for Ant Man the Wasp looks awesome. All right, yeah, a, a giant Hello Kitty Pest dispenser is all I needed to see, really. <laughs> <laughs> Although I tell you what bothers me, I, I'm sorry, I'm digressing here at the end. That's a whole other podcast. What really bothers me <laughs> is when they shrink the skyscraper and there's no hole in the ground where the foundations and everything else <laughs> the plumbing were yeah <laughs> there should be like a big hole where all the plumbing you know stuff is coming up and everything so anyway it's the only thing that bothers me about the trailer but that bothers me a lot <laughs> <laughs> they did the same thing on the flash a few weeks ago too mm, anyway all right so <laughs> angie why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you if anywhere um yeah this is me signing off if you would like to Give me tips on Super Mario Brothers, uh, or tell me I'm wrong. You can't. <laughs> Perfect. Yes, I, I am here and here only. <laughs> she is our 42 cast exclusive, as I like to say. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Once again, Ryan, uh, Angie, and Gary, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Thank you. And so now we're finished talking about the Punisher. I hope you liked the episode. I hope that you appreciated that we still put it out there. But you can tell us what you think, and you can do that in a variety of ways. You can email us at everything at 42cast.com. You can also tweet to us at at 42cast or drop by our Facebook page at facebook.com slash 42cast. You can also uh, go to our website at 42cast.com, leave us a comment there, or you can leave us a review on either Stitcher Radio or iTunes. I know with iTunes, that information is used for recommendations to people of listening to similar podcasts, so it would be helpful to me, and I would greatly appreciate it, if you would go there, give a review, uh, give a rating for the show, five stars naturally, and just let people know what you think, and hopefully uh, that'll promote the show. I also wanted to remind everybody about the ESO Patreon. It's a way of getting exclusive content from the various podcasts of the ESO network, including the 42Cast. It's also a way of helping to support the network. So please check that out. Go to uh, patreon.com and check out the ESO Network page and give us whatever support that you can. I also figured that I should put in a plug for our local Comic-Con, the Wisconsin Comic-Con. As long as I've lived here, we've only had a little one-day con called Mighty-Con. All the real Comic-Cons have been in Chicago. So it's really nice that this year we're going to have an actual comic convention in Milwaukee. Uh, it's called the Wisconsin Comic Convention. It's going to be a three-day con. It's going to have celebrity guests, comic book guests, 
all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I'm going to be there on Saturday only. Uh, so if anyone is here in the local area and you want to see if you can find me, and if you recognize my voice, please come up, say hi. I won't mind at all. I would love to meet some of my listeners. So check it out if you can. But now it's time to say goodbye. And oh God, I was about to go into the Mickey Mouse Club ending. I'm not going to do it. So uh, we're wrapping things out now. Uh, please join us back next week when Jason Isaacs will not be joining us. And until then, this is Nathan signing off. You have been listening to the 42 cast copyright 2019. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42 cast.com. Theme music is sharper swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. The 42 cast is a proud member of the ESO network. And now for some outtakes. So yeah, guys, thank you for accommodating me at the 30 minute pushback. I know we went a little long here, no worries. but uh, I did think it was a good discussion. And I really enjoy... See, here's the thing, and I hope people don't get insulted when I say things like, I would never have seen that in a million years. I like it when people tell me things I would have never seen in a million years, because now I want to go back and watch it. I got the impression you were happy. I I never know how that comes across, so I just wanted to say, you know, I like that, you know, because now it's like, oh, now I can rewatch this and see if I can see it now, you know. Well, you know, I'm going to make a point the next time I watch it of paying attention to their clothes to see what clothes they're wearing. Mm -hmm. Uh, in the flashback scene and the day of the shooting. Yeah, good point. I'm really curious about that. Yeah, because yeah, especially, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely it definitely paints a worse picture of him if he was doing that, the you know, the day before it all went down, you know, the, the yeah. morning of, you know, it was all going to go down yeah. in a few hours, and he's just like, hey, everybody, you know? It's like, yeah. It's like, oh, I got a date. Yeah, based on the way the conversation went, I didn't, I don't know if it was, I, I didn't get the impression it was the exact day they all got shot, but it was definitely post-Afghanistan. They were home, was the way it came across <laughs> You know, me. Billy went away, and then five minutes later, the shooting started. You know, I never connected that <laughs> yeah. until now. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, for I, me, I guess, I, I don't know. Like, I can forgive so much, uh, so many problems with, the show if the character interactions are amazing which is true mm-hmm. here and i think maybe i'm a little bothered by billy because if he is just a complete sociopath there's like nothing really there to work with mm. character wise if that makes sense no. mm. i don't know i mean he's the one that unsettled me the whole time because i felt like i couldn't get a handle on what the show was trying to portray him mm. as um and maybe that was the point i don't know but i felt a little bit tricked even though i like I don't know. I was like, of of course, of course, like the trusted confidant's gonna be like, turn on. But I you. think the point well, was that, that he was so good at what he was doing that he tricked the viewer. Also, you know, you're supposed maybe. to feel like because that's why Frank Frank doesn't. I mean, if anyone should see it, it's Frank. But Frank doesn't see it because yeah. he is that good. You know, even when they meet after it's all gone down, and he's like, "Oh, frankly, like, you know, Frank doesn't take the deal, but Frank doesn't think there's anything wrong with it. He doesn't suspect anything. He's like, "Yeah, it's Billy. Billy's trying to help me out. You know, <laughs> no, Billy was trying to murder you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and maybe that's it. That it was just like blind luck. Like he didn't. He told Curtis he was alive and not Billy because he's trying to protect Billy. Mm. And it was just like a happy accident. <laughs> Billy was the one that was the psychopath. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, 
I, I do think it would have been an interesting twist because it's Marvel, because it's Netflix. You know, there's going to be a mid-season reveal, and someone's going to be a traitor or die. And so, my I, I was kind of thinking it was going to be Curtis. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of me was thinking we were going to find out Curtis was the villain throughout it all. And so uh, Billy just seemed too obvious. Oh, oh, I thought you meant Curtis so. was going to die because, yeah, I was afraid Curtis was going to die throughout <laughs> the whole show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I thought, yeah. I thought Lewis killed him. Yeah. Like, I was so happy the next episode where I'm like, you're just beat up real yeah, bad. Yeah, I, I thought he was dead there. <laughs> right. And then when he, when he at the end, when Billy's there in the house, I'm like, oh, God, like, Frank's going to eventually get Billy, but he, Curtis is going to die along the way. And I was so glad he made it out of that too because yeah i love that character i thought that he was you know he was he was a wonderful you know guy and and he he, he's something frank needs he needs a a friend that's really trying to help him um the way that curtis does and to see a guy that has been through the same kinds of things and is willing to take that effort every day to you know get beyond it and to you know get back into regular society i think is is I don't know, just makes... It, it elevates Frank again beyond the... What I kind of have seen the Punisher in the past of being like, me big guy, me got guns, me shoot people. You know, kind of character. Mm-hmm. The bad Punisher Right, writing. yes, the bad Punisher right. You're still recording, right? Uh, yeah, I'm still recording. I can insert stuff okay, in. Okay, good, because this yes, is good. Yes, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no. But, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll... We'll see where they go with it. I mean, it'll be 2019 at the earliest before we see it. I'm still hoping that they've gotten to a point now with the shows where they're going to drop one every three months. So I'm hoping maybe we're going to get... We know we're going to get Jessica in March. I'm hoping we'll get Luke Cage in June, Daredevil in September, Iron Fist in December, because they've they've finished recording all of them now, um, of those four. Punisher's just about to go into recording. Um, But, uh, yeah, so I mean, I don't know how long it takes to edit them all. And to get all that part of it done, but um, theoretically, it's possible we might get four Netflix shows this year. Does it seem like Netflix has started throwing things out there without any real like fanfare? Like mm-hmm. that Cloverfield movie, and I feel like Altered Carbon. You know, there were ads for Altered Carbon every time you logged into Netflix, but like I didn't see anything about it anywhere else before. Oh, it came I saw out. it all over my Facebook feed. Was it? Maybe I just. Well, that's just people. I mean, did you see the like the sponsored posts, or did you see people just sharing? I think it was sponsored posts all over the place. Because mm-hmm. I'm not sure I saw anyone directly saying, "Oh, this looks good. I we got to see it." I just saw it like showing up as I was scrolling down. I think it's worth watching just because Joel Kinnaman is like a real life Rob Liefeld drawing. <laughs> <laughs> he has no feet. His proportions are so crazy to me. I can't get it around. Like I can't. He needs clothing. I don't know, I don't know how he needs, he needs clothing that's nothing but bandoliers. <laughs> <laughs> if you've ever seen a Liefeld cable drawing, you know what I mean. <laughs> yes. Yes. Like the bald fists and the little baby feet. But I mean, in all honesty, like he just has this like the core of him. His torso is gargantuan is just giant and it looks so out of proportion with the rest of his body <laughs> I, I found i thought the concept from what i saw sounded very interesting for altered carbon it's definitely on my list uh, i enjoyed yeah. it i'm gonna read the books i haven't read them i, I hear they diverge a lot but Jessa and i tr- watched it sunday mm. um about 10 15 minutes into the third episode i was done with the mm. show 
she watched the whole thing and I was so I was doing other stuff and kept coming in and out and catching pieces of it and it's a whole bunch of mishmash of stuff I've seen done better in other shows. Ah. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I watched. I haven't. I'm gonna go finish it, but I've only watched the first episode, and I watched it, and I thought, okay, it's pretty, but there's nothing original here. Um, I, but everyone keeps telling me how great it is, so I'll give it. I'll keep going, you know, at least another two or three episodes. But I just the first episode, and I'll I'll grant you, no show is ever perfect on the first episode, but it, there was just nothing in it besides the special effects that made me want to keep going. What's the name yeah. of that movie? And it doesn't help. Free Jack. I think that's what it is. Yeah. yeah, the concept reminds me of Free Jack, sorta. Yeah, and it also doesn't help that the main that the lead character, who was Rick Flag in Suicide Squad, has like zero chem- uh, chemistry or magnetism, screen whatever presence. you call it, on screen. Paul. Yeah, he's got no screen <laughs> presence. You don't. He's not. You're just like, all right, you're there. Yeah. <laughs> that's a problem. You know, yeah. it's like the, if your lead can't. Yeah. Poe didn't sell it for you because he sold it for me. I watched the rest of it for him. And Tom Penicat, who was criminally underused. Mm, yeah. Yeah, in the first he's in the first episode and I had to stop and go, Is that is that Hilo? That looks like Hilo. Yeah. Yeah, and, then, yeah, yeah. and the sad thing is he he's in that first episode and he shows up kind of briefly in another episode, but then because of the way that the concept is with your mind can jump into different bodies, we don't see him anymore. Yeah. It's the same so, character, but it's a different actor and it's just like uh, that was another oh. issue I had with it was the fact that I don't have any drama here because if oh he's going to get shot up to pieces well we'll just load him into another body yeah. that's yeah. well that, I mean, that's my a- problem with magic blood that can cure everything in the new Star Trek movies <laughs> there's no drama because they're just going to find their con blood stash and be like ah we can bring him back <laughs> we cure death <laughs> There was this one actor who, like, I just think he's a he's a real big like like maybe white power thug looking guy, and he got he got to play so many different characters, and it was just glorious to watch every single one of them. <laughs> like he played a little Hispanic grandma for a while. It was just wonderful. <laughs> okay, <laughs> is anyone else watching Voltron besides me? No, I I've did finish season one. I haven't. I know we're on like what That's four five. now. It's coming I out. I haven't next month. Five. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I haven't gotten to it yet. Voltron's like the best animated show nobody's watching. No, but the one I did binge uh, last week uh, was Dark. It's it's a really good one. It's, if you like time, good time mm. travel, you'll you'll enjoy that one. It's German. It's all subtitled. But it's it's really complex and it, same thing. The first episode or two, it just plays like a murder mystery mm-hmm. type thing. But then by the third or fourth episode, you're fully invested and you're jumping around through different times, and it makes sense. It you you need a grid to follow it all, but it's oh, consistent. Good. They, they step the rules so, and they so, keep so not like the Flash yeah. then. No. no. <laughs> There's no Barry, uh, you know, yeah. Barry rules. Damn it, Barry! <laughs> Time travel works v- it, entirely differently. Every episode we do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ah! <laughs> Damn it, Barry! Yeah. And you're not going to do it because that—that's one of my big problems. Yeah. Is that that's the way it is in almost every show that does time travel. They don't—they're not consistent with it. You know, it's—it it doesn't make sense when you think about it. So, yeah, that—that that sounds good. I—I I actually am looking forward to watching that then. Yeah, on Netflix. Okay. Netflix. Yeah, it's just okay. called Dark. I mean, 
the, the premise is really that it's a small little town in Germany that's got a portal that goes um, you know, like 30 years into the future and 30 mm. years into the past. You know, and uh, yeah, and, and there it's all interconnected. So if you keep on going around the portal, like to the other side, can you keep on going in, in increments of thirty years? I don't want to answer that. <laughs> that's the first <laughs> thing that comes to mind. Is you know, well, that, that was like the first thing that came to my mind too. <laughs> Multiples of thirty, either way. So, yeah. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.